and welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies. I am Miss Milmoy. I am Mr. Crager. <clears throat> and this is our 31st episode, um, in which we'll be doing the long-promised uh, Twin Peaks recap, which at this point is much farther along than we meant for it to be, so we're calling it a, um, a halfway recap for the season, which... A season of 18 episodes, uh, divided by two, is episodes one through nine. So it's not quite completely up to date with what is airing on your television We're screens. About two-thirds through. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll we figured... Yeah. yeah, we figured it's fun because it's Twin Peaks, and the last time Twin Peaks was on the air, uh, you didn't have podcasts or ways to, to discuss things. So even if, you know, we're horribly off-base... Um, you know, at least we can say we did it. And it'll, it'll be funny. Um, and we'll be like, what the fuck were we thinking? Speaking of which, um, pro tip, Twin Peaks has moved to 8 p.m. on Sundays, um, mm. which was not, like, formally announced. So, you know, check your local David Lynch social media, but that is the new time slot. Um, we're assuming so it doesn't have to compete so much with Game of Thrones. Because, I don't know about you guys, but I have been watching... Of the two of them, I've been watching Game of Thrones live. Because they're... Yeah. You're more likely to get spoiled with Game of Thrones. So. And you're more likely to get spoiled, and Game of Thrones has a shorter season, right? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. it's right in the middle of Twin Peaks. Like, Twin Peaks will still be going after Game of Thrones ends for a couple weeks yeah. more. So, you know. <clears throat> so that's my rationale on it. Um Yeah. Plus, but I watch Twin Peaks immediately after. Yeah. So. Well, I do it when I can. Sometimes I can't. I, you know, work, life. Um, but, yeah, so we're going to talk about episodes one through nine, halfway through the season, and try to keep it to our thoughts as per that. I know it's going to be difficult to not say, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, remember when Jerry came tumbling out of the woods? <laughs> well, episode? I think, I mean... Well, it's going to be hard it's, for it's me us. not to, not to like, so like now I have, I feel like the theory about um, the parentage of Richard Horn was even more confirmed by the most recent episode. Yeah. Well, you know. I mean, tangents are inevitable, I think. Yeah. But trying but to focus on. I think we'll try and keep the bulk mm. of our discussion on episodes one through nine. Yeah. Maybe occasionally touching on episodes 10, 11, and 12. Yeah. It's not like it's spoilers or anything. Right. Um, it's as things in those episodes, um, I guess, support things we're saying about episodes one through nine. Um, there we go. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like um, that. That's not sexy. <laughs> I don't know. They're just two sluts with me. <laughs> um, great. So, do you have any horror headlines before we start? Oh, yes. I did. I saw, what did I see today. I that I said to myself, yesterday. huh, um, okay, <laughs> 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 I can't think of it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's too much going on right now. Um, uh, there's this and that. Well, but you know, okay, well, we have a lot to talk about, so maybe we'll skip horror headlines. Yeah. So the horror show. headline is Twin Peaks moves to 8 o'clock. Yeah, yes, exactly. Um, there. And Mel saw a new It poster on her way into the liquor store this afternoon. So there you go. Oh, but did you see the new trailer, too? Yes. The second trailer? I so did. good. Can't wait. So there's that, too, kids. 
Um, but yeah, I guess we'll just go right into it because uh, it's Twin Peaks and we're going to talk a lot more than we think we're going to talk. And we think we're going to talk a lot. So, so. <laughs> all right. So, um, yeah. So should we just sort of like walk through and then oh, yeah, I guess. So as things come up, we'll. Yeah. So I guess like. So we all know you've, if you haven't already listened to our Twin Peaks Primer podcast, um, where we gush for like two and a half hours, um, about the original show, um, and kind of give you a, basically a walk through everything that happened into, in that, if for some reason you, <clears throat> I think there are a lot of people who actually didn't watch the original who are watching The Return or like. That's so strange to me. Just know things about the original and didn't finish it and are watching the return. I listen, if you can't get through Lumberjack Coop, then you just don't deserve You haven't FBI earned it. Coop. Day, the rest of us have earned <laughs> it's it. It's like yeah. that meme where it's like, Oh, if you can't take me on my worst days, like the that white that thing that white girls always post on their Facebooks, that's yeah. That's, That's exactly with, right. If you can't take Lumberjack Coop, then you don't deserve FBI Coop. You don't deserve FBI Coop. Um, Even if he's, you know, thinks he's Dougie. I don't know what he thinks. Right. I know a lot of people think he's Dougie. So, yes. So, the way this starts, first of all, not yes, that we're going to go... us through from the very beginning. Okay. Well, not that we're going to go scene by scene, but I should point no, out we'll, that the first we shot... We should preface that. There is... cannot talk about everything. We can. We can, but... but we're not going to... We'll lose our but dozens and dozens of listeners. <laughs> or five listeners. Um, so the the reason I bring I say that though is because the first shot is just really great of this zooming in in a old high school hallway to an old trophy case um, where the iconic which okay sidebar already one time Craig yelled at me because I made fun of Laura Palmer's picture. <laughs> Wait, I don't remember this. Tell it was about. when I watched you had you were playing. We built the blanket for it, and we were watching Twin okay. Peaks for the first time. And they were showing Laura Palmer's picture, and I was like, "She's kind of smiling weird." Like I just thought she looked weird in the uh. photo, and you whipped around your head, and you're like, "Fuck you!" That photo is iconic, and then like whipped <laughs> back to the TV. And that's all I had to say on that matter. And I was like, "All right." Um, so anyway, we zoom in on this iconic... But now, don't you understand? Yes, I still think she's making a weird face, but I understand. <laughs> um, so anyway, we're zooming in on the iconic um, like yearbook photo of Laura Palmer before the, the, the tune kicks in. It just goes doom, doom, and then it starts, and it's great. Um, so that's... Chilling. It was great. That was the, the first great thing. And then... Um, our present state of things is Dale has literally, I assume, been sitting in that same chair mm. for 25 years. Um, yeah. He's just been kind of sitting there with his cup of coffee. Um, but the giant gives him two names to remember. Linda and Richard. And Richard. Um, who we have identified at this point. Yes. Um and, and he, he says, oh, sorry. No, what does he say? I don't know exactly what he says. And he says something about two birds with one stone. Yes. Um, and, you know, of course, it's the giant and, and, and we're in the lodge, which this scene was done in black and white. So a lot of people were like, is this some sort of gray lodge? Well, and it comes up again later because we it return to this black and white world later. Um 
so that's something to talk about. Um, but yeah. yes, he, but he, anyway, he plays him a sound. He's like, remember this sound? And it's like this weird, like, sound. You're like, all right, it's Twin Peaks. All right, this, this makes sense. Um, and he tells him something about two birds and one stone with Linda and Richard. And Cooper's like, at this point, like, not a person. Um, Which I love, like, right off the bat, it's like, I was like, giddy as fuck. Just from, <laughs> like, is- seeing the giant again and these clues and I was in Canada and I couldn't watch it because of the way that Canada was showing it. Like I didn't have access to it when it aired. Um, I had to wait for it to go illegally. Um, <laughs> he was like, I'm not going to spoil it for you because I know you, you can't watch it. Um, but he was like, just know that it's weird and wonderful. <laughs> and it made me mad too. Cause I was watching a live stream that had a countdown and then it was like, just kidding. It's going to be on tomorrow when we get it and upload it. <laughs> Which is like the cruelest of cruelties. Yeah, it was annoying. Um, so anyway, this is what he, he, he tells yeah. Coop. Um, Which I love because it's already getting into like the heart of the show. Right. And what it mm-hmm. was. Yeah. Two birds with one stone, this idea of duality that is played and total throughout dream the whole logic, show. Right? Total dream logic. Um, you, you know, thinking about doppelgangers and doubles mm-hmm. and this concept of to destroy one, you have to destroy the other. And, and I loved it. I loved I loved everything about it. And so this isn't exactly going in order because a lot of this episode blurs together for me. But basically what ends up happening is Coop is in what we know is the lodge. He's in the red room. Um, right. And it turns out the... This is actually, I think, getting into the second episode, but the sound is Laura walking on the lodge, um, and she walks over, and um, she identifies herself once again, Laura Palmer, and she's like, hello, Agent Cooper, Um, and he asks if she's dead, and she says, I'm dead, yet I live, and then takes her face off, (laughs) and is this white light on the inside, um, which later events seem to to point at a certain sort of like theory with Laura I guess that's forming in people's minds but basically what happens is is that from what I understand is that the doppelganger that walked out of the lodge 25 years ago had a time limit on how long he was allowed to be out because he's out being a murderous fuck um and basically he knows he says that he has to go back into this place called the Black Lodge tomorrow and he has no plans on doing that um so he's going to make sure that doesn't happen and he gets this mysterious phone call from this unidentified voice that says you're going back in tomorrow so I can be with Bob again um and the doppelganger thinks at first that it's Philip Jeffries who you will all remember mm-hmm. played by mm-hmm. David Bowie from um the Firewalk with Firewalk with me um so he hangs up the phone he's like desperately trying to avoid getting thrown back into the lodge and basically what happens is he manages to do it when it happens and he sends Coop instead of Coop replacing his doppelganger he replaces this third dude named Dougie who is another version of Coop but like fat and like gross and like a degenerate um, who then gets sent back into the lodge and Coop is now there um and has no idea what the fuck's going on. He's like catatonic. Um, keep in mind, he doesn't go all the way. He doesn't. It's not like Coop's there and then snap his fingers. He's he's in place of this person. He like goes through this weird space thing. Um, 
Yes. <laughs> and he goes into this this house with this chick who, like, I swear to God, I thought was Josie at first with no eyes. Um, she evokes Josie's presence. She also, I thought at the time, looked like a doppelganger for Ronette. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, she's very strange. She's an unidentified person who has, no, like, her eyes are covered. She has no eyes. And she's fearful of this thing called the mother, um, which yes. she keeps saying she is coming. She says, my mother is coming. Um, and it's this, it sounds scary as fuck when it's coming. This um, horrible banging on the On the door. Like, the literally, your, ni- your nightmare, right? Like, this banging sound on the door. I've had... Um, episodes of sleep paralysis with that being the case. Someone banging on my door that I thought was actually happening. Um, not to be confused with the time that this drunk bitch at 3am was banging on my door thinking I was her boyfriend. Different time. <laughs> Different time. So <laughs> No less terrifying. No less terrifying. So this is all happening. Eventually Coop pops out of a, an electrical socket um, and is now in place of this Dougie character who's gone forever. He was like a decoy, like a crash test dummy. Interesting thing, though, that happens in the first episode. Now, yes. Um, we're not even in Twin Peaks for the majority of the episode. We're in various places, one of which is New York City, where there's this strange, there's this building that we come to be told is owned, this room, or this floor, rather, and this building is owned by some mysterious billionaire, who has built this glass cage type device and hires people to just sit there and watch it and wait for something to happen. And this dude is doing it and this girl who like is kind of his girlfriend maybe keeps showing up asking if she can see it and the security guard says she's not allowed because it's top secret and eventually she gets her way in. She's hanging with the boyfriend. They eventually like start making out and something appears in the box. And it breaks out of the box and attacks them and, like, eviscerates them. Um, now, let's, yeah, let's take a moment. Let's, let's talk about the box. Let's put a pin box. in that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, do you want to put a pin no, in we, it? No, you can, if it? you, I was going to put a pin in the creature that came out of the box. Oh, the creature that comes out of the box. Yes. Well, I, so I loved everything about the box in New York, right? Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to learn more about it. And I think now, especially looking back, I have a better idea of what I think was going on with the Mm -hmm. box and what Lynch is trying to say. But just just think, right? It's the first episode. It's in like the first couple of minutes. Twin Peaks has been gone for 25 years. It's developed this huge following. It has changed television. It's changed the way we watch television, what we expect from television. And then there's this sort of meta thing going on with the New York storyline, right? Of the idea of just watching a glass mm. box obsessively, okay. waiting for trying something to figure to it out. Yeah, trying to figure it out. To me, it felt like Lynch was commenting on the fans' obsession with the show, that's, our obsession with that's TV. A- such a good point because there are so many things in Twin Peaks that have no point and have no meaning and are there just to be there that people are like, it means this, it means that. And it's literally like, no, like this is, this is the world that that Lynch created where it's like certain things have so much meaning that you want to apply that in every situation. And it's dream logic, which means not everything is going to make sense. Some things are just weird. 
Um, so that's a very yeah. that's a very interesting reading. Yeah, because for me, I guess I think it's it obviously is a major plot point for the, the show itself, but I think it's also very much what Lynch is going to use as the vehicle to to comment on the state of of Twin Peaks as a concept and and this this new season and and what it's going to do because like just like this man who is hired to just sit and watch the box mm-hmm. and just like us same watching our boxes <laughs> minus we the hired part going to happen we don't know if it's going to be good or bad <laughs> we're just sort of um, waiting around to see what manifests and yeah. then when something does manifest, it's very hard to discern. And we're kind of like, this is going to take a while before things form. And Such we realize we understand what it is. The Audrey's. Yes. And her many friends. Exactly. But it's so just people. like when this thing eventually forms in the box and it takes a while. And everything that's going on is based on a sense of menace and a sense of dread, which mm-hmm. is what Twin Peaks is. expert at yeah that was me doing i love the box i love figuring out what's in the box what's in the box i have theories about what's in the box or what that thing was and why it reacted the way it did Mm -hmm. um i you know but i don't know if do we, I don't know if we, do we want to get into um, that? Let's get oh. it. Let's put a pin in that because I have okay. theories that are based on later a later episode. So that's like the first two episodes. Okay. We've kind of blended them together, but they also kind of blend together and they were released together. So yeah, um, and we do we do get to the town eventually. Yes, we do. Where <laughs> all kinds of amazing things so are happening. So here's a breakdown so far. So Shelly is still at the diner. Um, Shelly has a daughter. It's Amanda Seyfried. Who's got a name? Becky? Becky. 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 Her name's Becky. Amanda Seyfried. She's got a gross boyfriend. Um, whose fucking name? Spencer. I don't know. Spencer. Uh, Spe- His name is Spencer. <laughs> um, Bobby's a cop. It's adorable. Um, he's a deputy. Um, Hawk is still a deputy. Sheriff Truman is around. It's not the Sheriff Truman you think. <gasps> oh, um, that's another great moment. Yeah. Um, when, um... Go for the, it. Uh, Lucy gets the call in the in the premiere at the station. Or no, someone comes into the station. They're like, mm-hmm. Sheriff Truman in. She says, which Sheriff Truman? Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait, what's going on? It's also like, you know, the love of doppelgangers, right? Of doubles. Yeah. Sheriff Truman. I was like, I was very giddy. Yeah, <laughs> it was a great way to hit because the, the original actor for Harry, for Harry Truman quit like he's a retired actor yeah he's he's in um, retirement and he didn't want to come back so they're like all right um so they mentioned him harry truman is still alive in the show he's just like very sick um and he's kind of off elsewhere and they handled it very well basically this is his brother also sheriff truman who has taken over yeah played by robert forster yeah it's very who good it works david very lynch's well. original choice to play harry yeah it all works really well um uh-huh. <laughs> Lucy and Andy. Um, yeah, we check in with Lucy and Andy. We check in with Ben. We do um, very, very briefly in the premiere. Yeah, and I think it's such a that was an interesting scene too because Ben's on screen for maybe thirty seconds mm-hmm. in the premiere, but you tell that he's already very different 
Yeah. Because he mentions to a colleague that you have to R-E-S-P-E-C-T women, which is very contradictory to his... To him. Secret whorehouse cheating life that he was living 25 years prior to this moment. But it's interesting because when you get, like, later in episodes, like, he's still very much weird Ben. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, he's just stupid fucking Ben. Um, so it was, like, a great, like, he's just, he's probably the one character who seems exactly like they were when we left them 25 years ago. I assume he's just been up there, not, like, in his (laughs) office, just for 25 years. I think he's a little bit more tapered. He is, but... I think, based on whatever has happened with Audrey and Richard, I think, has changed him. Well, his, his monologue about still, his dad was, that, was that, like... That we know and love is well, still very the thing. much there. Like, his thing about his dad, how he goes <laughs> off on this whole tangent about his dad and how much he loved that bike or whatever the hell it was. And I was like, that's such a Ben thing. It's oh, like yeah. when he thought that he was the... He thought he was General Lee or whatever. That was great. What a great... What a stupid storyline. That was so amazing. So amazing. Um, but anyway, so yeah, we check in with him. But Lucy and Andy have a, have a kid. Um, Wally. Wally. But it's actually... <laughs> Michael it, Sarah. It's probably like the most incredible like moment that you've ever had to tolerate on television and i think it's the only time we will ever see wally in the entire show well i was just gonna say you want to talk about some things things in twin peaks that don't always make sense or connect or ever circle back i think that's one of them i don't think we're ever gonna see wally ever again so michael sarah shows up and he is the child of the the baby that lucy spends her entire time trying to find the paternity, paternity of in the original show has been born. It's Michael Sarah, because of course it is. Um, <laughs> and he shows up on his like moped or his motorcycle or whatever it is. And he he's gives been his, gone. For a he's been or, gone for a while. He's been out finding himself. He gives a whole fucking monologue to Sheriff Truman about like how grateful he is and how he was like. But it's as his persona. As Wally Brando, yeah. as um, as this Marlon Brando, like young Marlon Brando, streetcar Marlon Brando sort of persona. He talks about how the original <laughs> Sheriff Truman is like his godfather or something, uh, and that Andy and Lucy are so fucking proud. Like they're standing next to, they're like gripping his arm and like giving him like supportive gestures. And like, isn't he great? Oh my god! And it's the great. It was it was incredible. It's like a lot of people have been putting it as their highlights of the first half of the season is Wally's monologue, which is hysterical because it has nothing to do with anything. It's just such classic Twin Peaks nonsense. Um, And I would watch it five times. It was great. Um, and (laughs) so much time, Sheriff Truman is just there, like taking it, like taking it very, like just. All right, thanks, Wally. I appreciate it. Thank you. Ugh. Like, it was great. Um, so that's what's going on with Andy and Lucy. They also have weird passive-aggressive, like, furniture fights in the office. I want the, I want the beige one. Well, I want the, the, red maroon, the red one. And then she, like, actually wants the beige one. It's weird. Um, there's also a dick in the office. Chad. Chad. Get um, out of the conference room, Chad. Chad, who turns out to be more of a dick than you realize, um, because I guess this is a good time to start talking about Richard Horn. 
Um, so we don't meet Audrey for many an episode, but we see plenty of horns. Jerry is high as fuck in the forest and like scared. Um, he is consistently like having trips in the woods and like we'll occasionally cut to them. There'll be like little 20 second scenes of Jerry like staring at a tree and being freaked out. Um, but Richard Horn is kind of our new addition to the Horn clan. Um, and his, his, oh, sorry. Well, his introduction scene is, is strange. So he's like high on crack or cocaine or something. They manage one at Hadawine, um, something. And he's like, He's basically in the same business that everyone else was kind of trapped in um, in Twin Peaks with the issues with the drugs and everyone being on drugs and that sort of thing. Um, and he tweaks out because um, he's getting like pushed around by these guys and who he works for. Well, hold on, hold on. What? His actual introductory scene. Oh, did we, the, was he there is, before then? Before. Oh, is that's that the, right. He's in the... He's, the bang, yes, bang bar. He's in the bang, bang bar and he like accosts and, this woman. Yes. And, and he's, he's sitting alone in a booth. Yes. And, and he says girl, he's going to like rape her or something. Right. He says, uh, she's asked for a cigarette and he sort of, he like accosts her and he's sort of like, he's assaulting her really like aggressively on top of her, holding her to yeah. him. And he says, I'm going to laugh while I fuck you, bitch. Yeah. And that, I, that moment I think is when, I feel like a lot of people watching their return were like, oh, yeah, David Lynch still knows how to horrify us. Yeah, no, that was a very... And everything that happens after that with Richard Horn is... Because you and I watched the episode where he, after he hit the boy, when he went to go take yes. care of the witness. Next, so, the next time we see him. What ends up happening is, like, then we see him again. He's, like, high on crack. Like, he's tweaked out. He's pissed because these guys he work for works for have kind of been pushing him around. Um, he clearly has, like, an ego thing. Um, and he's speeding down the road in his truck, and he's, like, swerving, and he decides he doesn't want to stop for the stop sign and goes around, like, the line of people stopped at the stop sign and hits a boy. Totally kills the boy on, like, instantly and drives off and is yelling. And the boy dies, and we see something strange happen when the boy dies, which has led to, like, a lot of people... There are theories about the paternity of Richard Horn, and when this boy dies, what happens when he dies has kind of also gotten people talking about them, because basically this weird aura or essence rises up out of the boy and goes into the electrical wires, which people have said might be the Garmin Bosia that is mentioned right. to be fed off of in the Black Lodge. And we know that electricity and the sounds of electricity are connected to the beings in the lodge. Yes, the lights. There are sounds of electricity when they appear. Flickering lights is a sign that they are present. Mm -hmm. They can um, use Coop, electricity to travel. They use electricity to travel. Coop exits the Black Lodge through an outlet. Yeah. Um, so, that's very much a thing. But that scene. It's, oh my God. Where I couldn't look. I knew it was happens. happening and I didn't look. And there's this... The buildup is so perfectly quintessential Lynch, right? We've got the mm -hmm. mother and the son, and they're playing this very sort of strange cat and mouse game, game. Yeah, where he'll like sprint forward and stop. She'll run and catch him, and then he runs again. And and, and the guy at the stop sign back to Richard lets them the lets them pass, right? Like the guy who's yeah, the at the stop sign. Character. 
Yeah. Gives them the go oh, ahead. No, he's yeah, the other guy. Yeah. He's smiling yeah. and he says, go ahead. Yeah. Like do your weird fucking game in the crosswalk. He's like, go for it. Because when Richard hits him, he like lowers his head into his hand and just shakes his head. Like you guys can't see what I'm doing, but Craig can. Yeah. Um, but he basically just like shakes his head dramatic. and like has his hand. And it's because he, you know, he told the woman to go across and, you know, like he's, it's just such a, it's such a heartbreaking scene. Like you, you the knew it was coming. And the violence of that scene, I think, it's such a weird scene, right? Because you have the toxic sort of presence of Richard Horn going on in that scene, mm-hmm. and then you have the very gentle Carl, yeah, who's sitting on his bench in the park, and he's watching this mother and child, and how it all meets in this very, very horrific tragedy. Which he's the only one who goes out too when the boy is hit. Like everyone, the only one that goes into the streets. Yeah, Yeah. everyone's kind of watching from the side, right? And which uh, fun fact um, you'll all love to know: the intersection that the accident happens at is the same intersection in uh, Fire uh, Walk with Me, where Laura and Leland have their crazy encounter with Mike Mm. in the car. Oh, when he comes up, Mike is shouting at Laura. Yeah. And try to get her to understand about the ring and she can't hear him. Yeah. And so that's that's the same place. So what this so then Richard goes off and he's tweaked out because he you know, he hit a fucking kid. He doesn't know what to do. Um there was somebody who saw, like who knows that he it was him who did it and he goes and he assaults her and basically you know, almost kills her. That happens in later episodes because that's like kind of a development of the most recent episode. But basically a theory popped up. I think it was on the vulture that first theorized who Richard's father might be because they were like, all right, his name's horn, which means whoever his father was, Audrey wasn't married to him because he's got Audrey's name. Um, we know now from future episodes that he had no father growing up. Like the identity, whether he knew the identity of father or not, Ben says he never had a father. So, but before we knew that and that was like confirmed, the vulture put out this theory around the time that Diane showed up on the scene that the father of Richard is Coop's doppelganger. Um, and... This scene, I've been calling him Dark Cooper. Dark Cooper. <laughs> um, but this scene is kind of a big, a big, like piece of evidence that people use because when he hits the boy and it kind of creates this Garmin Bosia and there's this connection to the Black Lodge out of like, you know, this because we know that Garmin Bosia, this thing they feed off of is pain and suffering. Like that's what it means. And he's created that in this boy, you know, and it seems to rise out of this scene in the in the the street and goes up into the electrical wires uh, as he races off. Um, and we know that, or we're fairly certain that, um, the doppelganger Coop, um, Bob Coop, as some might say, um, it's heavily hinted that the last time he saw Diane, there was some sort of assault or abuse that happened. Um, whatever happened, it freaked Diane out. Um, and she says something's missing, that this isn't Cooper, this is something's missing. Um, and just, you know, connecting it to the theory about, um, 
him being Richard's father. Yes. Um, and possibly that some sort of similar assault happened to Audrey. Yes. In episode seven, when, uh, Frank Truman, uh, checks in over Skype with Doc Hayward. Oh, yeah. We get to see Warren Frost for the last time. Um, the father of Twin Peaks co-creator, Mark Frost. Um, for those of you that didn't know. Um, yeah, that was a really nice episode and it aired on father's day. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was dedicated to him. But anyway, Frank talks to Doc about Dale. And um, sort of the last time that Doc saw Dale, which um, fans of the show remember, Doc was present in the series finale when uh, Bad Coop wakes up at the end and smashes his head in the mirror, et cetera, et cetera. And Doc says the last time he saw Dale, Dale, I'm doing air quotes, (laughs) he was leaving the ICU where Audrey was in a coma Mm-hmm. after the explosion at the bank. Yeah. Um, now, and that confirms, actually, in episode seven, if you had not read The Secret History of Twin Peaks, which Mark Frost wrote as preparation for the new season, that Audrey is the one who survives the bank explosion. Mm. And um, Doc says that he gave... That Tell him Doc- how she survives. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Well, hold on, but, but Doc says that Dale gave Dale. him a very unsettling and unnatural vibe. Look. Yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, because he, he even says too. He's again. like, my mind's been going. I don't remember really anything, but I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, and um, that's some really dark territory to get into, um, with these dots that people have been connecting, and it, it seems, you know, now new material past the first nine episodes. It seems like to me that is the way that it's going. Yeah, especially now um, that Ben has confirmed that there was. No known father of Richard. Yeah. Um, But that's Lynch. And that's Twin Peaks. It takes you to dark, dark, sinister places. And that's why people really need to... And they said this before the show airs. Like, you need to watch Fire Walk with me. Because that is the real, like, essence. So, like, yes, Twin Peaks, it was the TV show. You know, it, it was what it was, but it had this sort of thread of whimsy about it. Like, it had these things that made it work for television. Like, Fire Walk With Me is dark. Like, you know, Bobby kills a guy <laughs> um, in, in, in Fire Walk With Me. Like, yeah, and just watching Laura's spiral Laura and the spiral, the dark, the, Like, you see Laura stop. being being assaulted by by Bob, by by Leland. You see her murder. Like, you see all these awful things that I feel like Lynch wanted to get at but couldn't because he was on cable television and, you know, the, these things don't fly. Now this is on Showtime. It's on TV, but he can, you know, get at that sort of dark, core that you have at Twin Peaks where awful, awful things happen. I mean, look at the Black Lodge. It is a place that feeds off of pain and suffering. Like, that wasn't just you know, hot air. Like, that's literally... And you see the pain and suffering. Like, that's it. Like, you see Richard run this boy over. You hear him talk, basically, about raping a girl in the bar. There's a strong possibility that while Audrey was in a coma, she was assaulted and had this child and, you know, all these awful things that, that happened. Um, so it would make a lot of sense if the doppelganger was Richard's father. Um, and I think the fact that they're making a point to point out that 
Richard had no father and they're not identifying a father and they hadn't shown Audrey until like 11 episodes in brings attention to it right because every every week everyone was like where's Audrey like everyone was like putting these things like it was like a joke on the internet at that point like hashtag where's Audrey um and it was you know just a whole thing like by omitting it you're bringing attention to it so now that we know that Richard had no father no identifiable father you're now bringing attention to saying all right well who is the father because it's clearly somebody that we know and that's why we're not being told um on the other side of things, at the Bureau... <laughs> Lots going on. So, Gordon's upgraded, first of all. He's got fancy schmancy new ear pierces for his what? Um, and there's this huge, nice little hint, because he's got in his office a picture of the atomic testing in New Mexico. Um, basically, 25 years... Albert has been dealing with Gordon by himself um, at the Bureau and this chick, Tammy, who sways her hips like it's nobody's business when she... Have you noticed that? The way, like, they have her, like... Oh, yeah. Her walk. Like, even when she's on the airplane, like, she's, like... It's mm -hmm. great. Uh, who is the author of the... Um, you guys didn't see my air quotes. Of the um, unofficial history of Twin Peaks within the show's canon. She, like, compiled the information... Yeah. Well, she didn't compile it. She's the one that makes the notes in the margins. Yeah, okay. So she's like the editor yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, basically, these three are our main people that we're following. Um, and what ends up happening is so... Something's wrong with them. There we go. Sorry, something's wrong with my desk. Um, so what ends up happening is Bob Coop gets pulled over when he's fighting, um, turning into... To back the, the Dale coming out and Bob going back into the lodge or the, the doppelganger going back in the lodge he gets pulled over on the side of the road cops find him they arrest him because he's wanted for a fuck ton of things um the bureau gets a call that Dale Cooper has popped up in a South Dakota jail and they're like huh so weird so they decide to go <laughs> Gordon's very excited because he thinks he's going to see Mount Rushmore um, that's not the case, so Albert gives him a picture of Mount Rushmore <laughs> to, to look at. And it's easily one of 2017's most quotable scenes in the, the <laughs> At least for Craig and I. Yeah, we say it a lot. There they are, Albert. Faces, Faces of stone. Because he so calmly pulls out this picture, he's like, I got this for you. Which there have been a lot of Abraham Lincoln references yeah. in the new season. So put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they go to this jail. They're going to meet with Coop. Uh, they talk with him. He's weird. Something's wrong. Uh, he's got this weirdly deep voice. He's kind of talking in this staccato, like one word, long pauses. Like someone will say something and he'll be like, yes. I also recall that, like, it's just weird. And they're like, this is weird. Mm -hmm. um, they're not sure what's going on. And they say this might be a Blue Rose case. Um, which, again, for those of you who actually watched 
firewalk with me. Blue Rose is the code word used. At least it was assumed until it was recently confirmed right. that Blue Rose was used as a code word in the FBI for cases that had to do with something paranormal, something not, not quite right. Um, and Gordon's like, couldn't be bluer. Um, so they decide they need to bring in somebody who knows Cooper, who would be able to look at him and identify whether this was him or not. And, and, you know, Gordon's like, well, where do you, how do you, you know, do you, do you know where she is? And Albert says, no, but I know where she drinks. But I know where she drinks. Um, and let's just talk about like the, so that, that first the first time Gordon and Albert go to see Bob Coop, Dark Cooper in prison, mm-hmm. um, just ha- like the pure evil that just sort oh of resonates God. during that scene. And I give you, so much cred to Kyle McLaughlin for actually managing to be right? scarier than actual Bob. <laughs> right? And I think you like nailed it talking about the strange way that he's talking and he's repeating things Mm -hmm. and he's sort of like on the surface he's trying to pass it off that he's been the real Dale this whole time but there's also this sense that he doesn't give a shit like it's this total thing that he doesn't care what people think they know or what they do know because he's got this sort of sense of arrogance that he's going to make it out of this yeah and he's I think it's honestly because of Bob, because he says that thing. He's like, good, you're still with me. Like, I think he's got this sort of sense of protection where the spirit of Bob is, he's got this thing going where he's like, all right, I'll play your game, but I don't really give a shit. And that's what's scary, right? right? Like somebody who, who so knowingly doesn't give a shit because they feel confident is like super fucking mm-hmm. horrifying. Yeah, and he's t- and and he's talking about that he has been deep cover for twenty five years with Philip Jeffries, and that he needs to be debriefed. And you know, Albert's like, mm, it's like, okay, that sounds fake. I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, that sounds fake, but okay. And um, and I I think what's so what that episode was so interesting to me, like those moments, like you know when. Uh, Gordon and Albert are talking afterwards like you were talking about like it's blue rose it doesn't get any bluer uh, doesn't get any bluer you have to say it like where yeah it doesn't get any bluer <laughs> and I can't remember if it's Albert or Gordon who says it but one of them says do you understand what's going on and in that same episode um, I think it's Dougie <laughs> who or regular Dale who says this is weird and it's so rare that you get characters in the show actually <laughs> like, acknowledging the weird. strangeness around them. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, they decide that Albert, in a rainstorm, goes to recruit this mysterious person. Fucking Jill Kelly, you lying motherfucker. <laughs> it's a great little bit. Uh, he goes into this bar and he turn, turns around... Um, and there's Lord Dern, um, who everyone... Not Lena Dunham. Not Lena Dunham, as some <laughs> of you might remember. I had a very rough time. So Laura Dern, um, who was like one of the big names billed with this, because she's like David Lynch's like golden girl. And everyone guessed who she was playing. Like the second she was announced, everyone was like, she's playing Diane. 
So she turns around and she says, hello, Albert, this woman at the bar with this like platinum blonde bob hair and this weird dress and every single one of her fingernails is a different color. And she's holding a cigarette and she turns around. She says, hello, Albert. And he says, hello, Diane. And they cut away and I cry. (laughs) (laughs) And that's all we saw. That was all we got in that episode. Like I just scream for a solid 30 minutes um, and they cut away and that's it. Yeah, and um, we didn't. They didn't come back in the next episode. Yeah, yeah. They were. You just, they were in the next episode. Yeah. Um. So when we do come back, Albert, um, Diane's immediately very cold to Albert. She, you know, he says two words to her about wanting her to come in about something because she no longer works at the FBI, and she says "fuck you, Albert," which becomes their little like thing later. And he says, "All right." Um. He eventually convinces her because he says, you know, we. It's, it's Cooper. Um, and he convinces her to come out with him to South Dakota to talk to this guy because they need to know if he's Cooper. And she talks to him. She comes into the room and there's just even more because you know something's wrong, right? Like you, even though at that point, you know, and we still don't know what exactly happened, you know something's wrong because Diane is scared to talk to, scared to talk to him. Like she doesn't want to. She's pissed. She's scared. She's angry. <laughs> She introduces her. She hates Tammy. <laughs> yeah. She's not a Tammy fan. Um, she's not a Tammy fan. So she comes yeah, in. Yeah, let's... Oh, sorry. Well, so setting the scene, right? So she comes in yeah, and originally... Set the scene first. She originally goes in and Albert and Gordon are going to go in with her and she says she wants to go in alone, I think is what it is. Or they're in with her for a second and she wants to be by herself talking to him because she thinks like that's the best way or like she just needs that. Um, so she goes into this dark little room by herself and the lights come up on, on, on dark coop. Who's just sitting there scary in like this, there's, he's lit from overhead in this dark room. He's disgruntled, his hair's back in that weird little ponytail. Like, and he's just staring, like, even though, you know, he can't see Diana, right? Cause it's like a two way mirror. The way these things work, like, it's like, he's looking at her, like he's staring at her and she's looking back and she's just got this horrified look on her face. Uh, and she asks him if he remembers the last time they saw each other. And he doesn't answer right away. He, like, says some other bullshit, and she asks him again. Um, she's like, no, like, tell me, do you remember last time we saw each other? And he says, yes. Uh, and she decides that, and he says it was at your apartment. Um, and she decides that's enough. And she gets out of the booth, and she's pissed and disgruntled, and something's wrong. Um... And the scene in the parking lot with her and Gordon. Ugh. Talk so about good. it. Talk about it. So good. <laughs> well, I just want to talk about Diane sort of in general. Diane. Right? Right. Yeah. Not a tape recorder. Not, not just a tape recorder, which was a theory for a long, long time. <laughs> which Craig still refers to his tape recorder as his Diane. Because yeah. he said I could borrow his Diane at Halloween. You can borrow my Diane. <laughs> Which is, I think no one what, knew. That's what I said to Jamie when she first showed up, and I was like, "Wow, she looks really good for a tape recorder." Yeah, right. She's aged well. Yeah, well, and everyone is talking about the wig, right? The fucking wig. The this Lord sort of like turns also talking about each blonde hair. Yes, she did. This is a fun tidbit. Um, she she said in one interview, she was like. If anybody other than David Lynch had asked me to wear this, I would have said absolutely not. And she's like, but it's him, and I love him, and so I'm going to do it. I can just imagine his face <laughs> pulling it out and his happy smile. <laughs> yeah. like, Isn't this great? 
Isn't this fucking weird? She's <laughs> great. But it's also like everything Lynch does. Yeah, it's very European. There's a reason. I think, I mean, think about the fact that it's bleach white, right? Yeah. Who else's hair turned bleach white after the confrontation that of a trauma? Leland Palmer. Leland Palmer. Yeah. Leland Palmer's hair turned bleach mm, white after yeah. he came face to face with a, a trauma. And after that happened to Leland, he was like, there was just that great sense of sadness about him for the rest of the show. Yeah. And I think there's that same sense of sadness in that first moment when we see Diane. And I think that's meant to be there. And I think Lynch knew that Laura Dern was going to communicate that very well because she's sort of this great Lynch actress, right? Like you were saying, you know, she's been yeah. in Blue Velvet and Wild at Heart and Lost Highway. She's very much sort of amused for him. And, um, and when they hug. Yeah. And I think, you know, watching her talk to, to Dark Cooper and then afterwards. Which is like 30 me, seconds. It's not even that long. It's, yeah, it's not very long. For me, I feel like there was this sense that Diane, at one point, believed in everything that the real oh, yeah. Dale stood for. No, you totally get that and sense that she like completely that, loved this person. Yeah. And that there has been this betrayal that was both personal and professional and that, that shattered all of that belief. And she's going to the prison to confront this Dale and, um, you know, this, this reference to the exchange that happened between them after the black lodge fiasco with again, the very dark implications of what happened and that sort of awful moment afterwards where she's like, that's not him. Something is missing. Oh my God. Yeah. She has this Ugh. total breakdown to go, Gordon. Go, she, go, go. Okay. <laughs> so Gordon, he pulls her out the day, come out in the parking lot. And Gordon's asking her, you know, what do you think? What's going on? And she says, she was like, that's not the Dale Cooper. I knew something's missing here. And she points to her chest and Gordon says, that's enough for me, Diane. And then they hug and I cry. Um, but that's just her because whole delivery. This right of of I th it, I think it's about the, the pain of what happened, mm -hmm. and I also think it's about this this continuing pain, right? That they still don't have their real Dale back. Yeah, I mean he like he was the white knight, right? Like he was yeah. the white knight of the last show. He was like the for like he was the force of like ultimate like goodness and happiness in in the original show and now you know and Diane like the Lord Dern's like delivery of this line is incredible because it's not even that she's crying like it's just that she's having a breakdown and she's like yep. that's not the Dale Cooper I knew something's missing and I love that like saying that as opposed to saying just like that's not him or something's wrong like literally her just saying something's missing here yeah. Um, and just Gordon being like, okay, that's enough for me. And, and Laura Dern and David Lynch hugging it out on the screen is like hugging it out. a dream of mine. Uh, Cause I texted uh, you that. And then you were like, Albert and Gordon and Diane are all in one scene together. And I'm crying. I know it's a lot. Um, and he says, okay, that's enough for me. And she goes off to have like a cigarette or five shots or something. Cause Diane is also, how about that, that line? <laughs> Speaking of the cigarettes, where um, they're they're at Diane's apartment before they they convince her to come with them <laughs> to the prison, and Albert asks, or or maybe Gordon, do you have any coffee? 
And she says, no, and I don't have any cigarettes either, <laughs> as she's smoking. <laughs> the other side to Diane, besides the tragic, awful backstory, is that she is the <laughs> spirit animal that we've all waited 25 years for. I don't have any us like drinking wine. No, I don't have any wine either. Um, but anyway, she goes to do her thing, um, and Gordon and Albert have their conversation. Tammy comes over. We missed the best part: the original conversation with Cooper, Bad Cooper, before they bring Diane in. Gordon, they're good. They're discussing in the parking lot, and Tammy comes over to discuss with them because they've just she's like this FBI agent that they've brought along with them. Yeah, and he's like, "Are you wearing a wire?" And she looks at him, and she's like, "You told me to." And then. He has this like weird dismissive face and shoes her away and tells her to wait at the restaurant. Go wait at the restaurant. And she does. She's and like, she does. <laughs> and she walks away with her wire, I assume. With the wire. Oh my god. Which is just, you know what? That's yes. It's so much yes. Are you wearing a wire? You told me to. You told me to. Yeah. Go wait at the restaurant. Go wait. At At which point, him and Gordon have the conversation about how it couldn't be bluer. Couldn't be Um, bluer. But yeah, so they decide something's wrong. Like whether or not they believe that this is Dale or they believe this is the version of Dale that's somehow corrupted or this isn't Dale Cooper at all. Right. They decide something's weird um, and they're going to open an investigation on it. Concurrently, back in the good old state of Washington, Hawk gets a call from uh, Catherine, well, Margaret, um, who is adorable and very sick um, at the time that she is making this phone call and concurrently filming um, and says that Hawk is going to... What, what, what? Perfect, perfect, because I remember her exact words of that first conversation from the premiere, and it's going to connect really well, Mm -hmm. because she says to Hawk in that first phone call in the season premiere, something is missing. Yes. It involves Agent Dale Cooper. Hmm. You will find the answer through your heritage. So the same words that the log lady, Margaret Latterman, uses are the same words that Diane uses to describe Dark Cooper. Something is missing. Right. So Hawk, who, if you will remember, Cooper says in back in the original series when he thinks he's leaving Twin Peaks, when all is said and done with Laura's case, he shakes Hawk's hand and he says, Hawk, I hope if I ever go missing, you're the man they send to find me. To find me. Twenty five years Hawk's been later. doing this season. Yep, <laughs> Hawk's been doing just that. So Hawk is like, huh? So he decides to reopen some old case files that had to do with Agent Cooper, and he pulls in like Lucy and Andy to help him go through it. Um, and they're trying to figure out, like, you know, Margaret's riddle. Is it about the bunny? Turns out. The bunny. Um, so they're going through these old things, um, and at one point they stumble on some stuff because things with Agent Cooper are obviously linked to case files with Laura Palmer. Bobby comes in and he has the first music cue of the entire show actually goes to Bobby when he sees Laura's picture and he says, Laura Palmer? 
and he looks at her picture and Laura's theme starts playing. He just starts like weirdly crying mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's adorable and sad because as you remember, Bobby was the only one at her funeral. Bobby was Bobby, but he was also the only one at her funeral who spoke up about the things that were happening. And I, I have a lot to say about that, but I want to wait a little bit. Okay. In Put terms a pin of Bobby in, that. We've in general, but I but I like that that moment where Bobby cries right mm -hmm. um, over Laura's picture. I thought that was an nice callback to the very very beginning of all this when Andy cries when Laura's body yeah. is discovered. He's like, "Don't tell him I cried. Tell yeah, him I didn't cry." Sort of inexperienced, naive deputy, and I don't know that Bobby's necessarily inexperienced or naive, but. Yeah. You know, he's the deputy now. And, it was he, a nice and it's look. the same sort of, because the others are kind of looking at him like, why are you being fucking weird? Because he just starts crying. And it's like this weird, yeah. like, dramatic crying. And Hawk and everyone are just looking at him like. Anyway. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So, they're going through the case files. They're like something. And Lucy's like, so you're an Indian. It will have to do. And he's like, yes, I am an Indian. <laughs> so, they go through this whole thing. People theorized pretty early, and they turned out to be right, and I think Craig and I theorized to each other as well that that thing that was missing um, was going to end up being the missing pages from Laura's diary. Because again, Fire Walk With Me, Laura is told by Annie in some sort of strange dream sequence, Annie tells her, my name is Annie, I've been with Laura and Dale in, in, the, in the Black Lodge. The, the good Dale is trapped and he can't get out. Write it in your diary. Um, and we don't know if she ever does because we see her diary and there's no mention of these pages, right? Um, Hawk's in the bathroom and he sees, like, the insignia for, like, the people who make the stalled doors or whatever is, um, like, a Native American chief icon or whatever. And he looks at it and he's like, oh, that's kind of weird. And he sees that a portion of the door has been like kind of pulled back. Like somebody has like yeah. pried at it a little bit. And he's like, all right. So he goes in and he pulls it out and he pries it a little bit more and he finds pages. And you don't see what they are at first. He just pulls out these pieces of paper and he's like, huh, walks away. End of the episode. Yep, that's it. Um, that's and you're like, it. God damn it. God damn it. I think that symbol, by the way, is the symbol of the Nez Perce tribe, okay. which... Um, uh, Michael Horse, who plays Hawk, is a member of that nation. There you go. Yeah. So, so, they, so it had to do with his heritage. It had to do with his heritage. Um, um, yes. So he pulls out the, the diary pages and shows them, um, at which point everyone was freaking out because the episode ended. They were like, was that Laura's diary? So they freak out. They take it into the office. Hawk reads that exact passage that Annie had delivered to Laura. And he says, he realizes very quickly that the Cooper who came out was not the right one. Like, Hawk is on it. Um, which is, like, in line with with original Hawk, since he was the one to give us the first information about the lodges and that sort yep. of thing. But he literally yes, said, he, he, he reads it and he immediately understands, all right, the Cooper that came out was not the right one. The, yeah. There are two I Coopers. Lo I and love that moment, right? And it's like, it's like, episode seven, like, I think it's the next episode after he finds the pages. Mm -hmm. When he and Frank are sort of reading them over, and basically they're just like deciphering "Fire Walk with Me," yeah. Which, and I'm like, "This is are we this not is all doing that? Exactly what the fans were doing, yeah. yeah." And it's so much of the language they use is the language that fans have used over the years mm -hmm. to describe what's happened. And I yeah, thought he that calls was him nice like Bad Coop or something. Nod, at one point, yeah. I think. 
So he realizes yeah. very quickly, he figures it out very quickly, that the reason Cooper was acting strange when he came out was because he wasn't the right one. It wasn't, it wasn't Dale. Um, so then there's this kind of questioning about who left the diary pages. How did they get there? They theorized that Leland did it when he was brought in for Laura's murder. No, um, for the Renault murder. For the Renault murder um, as like a witness or whatever. That was never really confirmed or denied. I'm not sure at this point that it matters. Some people had theorized that Audrey had hid them there. It's still possible since we don't know what the frick Audrey's been doing. The point is they finally found these pages. I think the most likely explanation is that Leland had the pages. Yeah, to hide because, because she reveals in these pages the identity of Bob who right. she realizes was Leland. Yeah. Um, because so the last page of the diary that is intact that they find, you know, back in season two is Laura saying, I know who he is. Yeah. And then there's several pages ripped out. I thought you knew it was me. You know, they've confirmed over the years that she, she knows that it's her father and she put that in the diary. Yeah. So Leland hid them. Leland probably hid the pages because he, or Bob hid the pages because he knew that they were getting close, what have you. Yeah. So they find them and they realize what happened to Coop. So Hawk decides that he needs to... He decides to go on a kind of a little expedition at first, I think, to try and find the lodge. And he almost does. Like, there's a shimmer of it um, in the woods, but he doesn't quite get to it. And he turns back. Um, Sheriff Truman starts to get involved because he also, you know, has a, everyone has a vested interest in, in Coop because they admire him. The original Sheriff Truman admired him, always thought that something was wrong when he came out of the lodge, but could never quite prove it or put his hand on it. And Cooper disappeared because Lucy and Andy talk about how they sent a, like, a, a letter to him inviting him to their wedding or to, like, the baby shower or something for fucking Wally. And he never responded. Um, so he's been, like, missing for everybody. Um, meanwhile, back in Coopville... He has appeared out of this socket in the floor. <laughs> Which I don't think Dale's return to the world, I don't think anybody expected it was going to be like that. Yeah, so he pops out of this electrical socket. Wait, 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 but let's talk, okay, so let's talk a little bit about that, right? Yes. So, you know, <laughs> as we, we sort of talked about at the top of the episode, Dale is going through this sort of odyssey inside the Black Lodge. Maybe he's crossing back and forth to the Gray Lodge. There's the faceless woman um, who is pulling these strange levers and it seems to be setting something back on course, but we're not sure what it's mm -hmm. setting back on course. Um, there's the Ronette. Well, I think of it as her as the Ronette doppelganger. We talked about the yeah. My Mother is Coming. I, she's actually credited as, as the American girl. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm who's fearing this sort of monster that's trying to get into the bunker. There are theories about, is that monster Laura? We'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, so Dale is in there and these levers have been pulled and there's these numbers on these strange outlets. First it's 15 and then it's three. Cooper's approaching it and as he does um, Bob Cooper's radio starts to fizzle and it's supposed to be like the moment of transition, right? Mm -hmm. And the Dougie Jones, real Dougie Jones is getting ill in this house and he is suddenly like sucked into the 
to the red room where Mike tells Dougie, you were manufactured for a purpose. And then Dougie sort of disappears and he just turns into a little gold ball, little gold ball. And the man or Mike puts him on a little pedestal, which is where the green ring used to sit in fire walk with me. And then, so there's this question of Dougie being manipulated to have the ring. Mm. Um, so that he was brought into the red room instead of Dark Cooper. Yeah. was. So then this allows our Dale to escape. He, he's brought out through the, take the ring, circuit. Laura. Um, yeah, he, he pops on out. He, he pops on out. He vomits creamed corn. Garmin, Garmin Bozia. Uh, yeah. The physical, the earthly version of Garmin Bozia. Which, if anyone will recall, uh, Laura said her favorite food was creamed corn. Mm-hmm. In Fire Walk with me. Mm-hmm. And, um... Which, n- nobody's favorite food is creamed corn. Nobody's favorite food Laura. is creamed corn. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So, so now Dale is out, but he is, um, because of his, you know catatonic state he's basically absorbed into the life of of dougie jones (laughs) and he's at this um uh empty house basically what's the word i'm trying to think of like it's like a model home a model home he's in a model home with this sex worker and yeah yeah. and that's where dougie was that's where dale is now it's um And this housing plan called Rancho Rosa, which um, Mm -hmm. is the name of David Lynch and Mark Frost production company. It has the same logo. (laughs) It has the same logo. It's also another double R, like the double R diner. Um, The street that the house is on is uh, Sycamore Street. And you'll recall that sycamore trees are the trees that surround Glastonbury Grove, which is the entrance to Black Lodge. Sycamore trees. And um, and then so there's this so there's this boy, right? Yes. And he lives across the street with his wrung out mother. And she keeps muttering one one nine. Um and I was like, is this some sort of like weird doubling thing? Is this 911 in reverse? Mm-hmm. You know, like an emergency? She gave me the impression sort of of being like the Chalfonts, you know, like they mm-hmm. are the Tremonts rather. Yeah. From the original series, like sort of connected to spiritual goings on. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have some interesting moments. Because the boy is basically witness to this failed assassination attempt later on, right? There's these goons that have been hired to take out Dougie Jones. Connecting the dots, it seems likely that these people were hired assassins from Bad Coop. Yeah. Who were hired to kill who he believed was going to be good Coop walking out of that model home. Yeah. But it doesn't work. And then Dale sort of becomes Dougie. <laughs> he's in this weird catatonic state where, you know, he's been in the lodge for 25 years. So, you know, God knows what that would do to someone. So he kind of walks out. He's kind of shuffling. He's People say things to him and he just kind of repeats them. Like they'll say like, oh, Dougie, like you look weird today. And he'll just be like, weird today. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, you feel kind of strange. Don't you? Like he just does this. He doesn't, you know, he's doesn't know how to function 
So she drops him off. She, like, decides, like, she'll give him a ride or whatever. Um, the sex worker. And he gets dropped off at, like, a hotel or a casino or something. Um, yeah. Silver and, Mustang. Uh, he goes into the casino and he starts, you know, he he gets handed things and he starts playing the slots. And he sees over slot machines little black lodge symbols, like, pop up over little slot machines. So he plays them and everyone is a jackpot. Everyone he goes to that has the... <laughs> The little thing and every time he pulls the lever he goes hello um because he's nuts um and he keeps and he winning wins. he keeps winning jackpots at every slot machine so this lovely old woman comes up to him and she's like oh my gosh she's like mr jackpots which one should i play and he sees the little the little icon the little basically it looks like the emoji on twitter that shows up when you do hashtag twin peaks uh, and it pops over the jackpot, he points to it, she plays it, she gets a jackpot, and she's like, thank you, Mr. Jackpots, thank you, and he's like, I don't know. The casino gets a little bent out of shape, obviously, because they've just lost, like, $30,000 on this guy who's kept winning jackpots, and they realize, they pay him, but they kind of do it a little bit threateningly. Obviously, Dale Dougie doesn't know this, mm. because he's so out of it, he's just like, yeah, Mr. Jackpots, and points to himself constantly and just says, Mr. Jackpots. Mr. Jackpots. Um, and they get in touch with his wife, basically. Or no, they drop him off, I think. Like, they figure out where he lives, and he gets dropped off in a limo, um, courtesy of the casino, in, like, basically exchange for him never coming back <laughs> and playing yeah. their, like, shit. So they drop him off. His wife is tweaked out because she doesn't know where he's been. He hasn't called. Um, obviously, real Dougie is having, like, an affair and up to, like, some gross, weird shit. He gets out with his bag of money, and he's dressed nicer than real doggy. He's obviously Kyle McLaughlin mm-hmm. now, so he's like thinner. Oh yeah, he's about he's, that. Yes, Miss Mel. Miss Mel. Did you notice Dougie's jacket when he goes in is yellow, like the color of creamed corn, mm. like the yeah, desert. No, it was like some kind of weird greenish mustard color. Yeah, the jacket that. Coop is given when he absorbs Dougie's life for the first couple times he's doing that is green. Okay. Sort of. Someone had a green jacket. Yeah. Dougie or Dale has the green one. Dougie had the yellow Dale one. one. Uh huh. And I was well, I was like, well, green, very obvious, sort of like life, vitality. Mm-hmm. Yellow, yellow gold, I feel like has been associated with a lot of negative things in the show. Yeah. Um, the shovels that Dr. Jacoby is <laughs> We haven't even touched on that. No, I know. Dr. Jacoby's lost his mind. The sign at the casino is in yellow neon. Um, obviously, creamed corn, Garmin Bosia, pain and sorrow. I think there's a lot of negative connotations with that. Yeah. So he shows up. Anyway. His wife is pissed, yeah. but he has a ton of money. So she's like, I'll get you some cake. She, he's missed his son's birthday, basically, I guess is what it is. Dougie's son's birthday. Right. Sunny Jim. Sunny Jim's birthday. So he kind of is getting led around. Like he goes to Dougie's job. They think he's weird. There's this great scene where he encounters coffee for the first time. And it's like the first inklings of Dale are popping through because he tweaks <laughs> out at the coffee. Um, <gasps> Which and there's... I love. I just I love like the whole amnesia plot. Right. Yeah. It makes sense. First of all, I mean. Dale has been in this, yeah, fucking, you know, hellhole yeah. hell for 25 years. 
but it's also it just works so well. And I know some people have been like, it's so like soap opera-y. And That's I'm like, the point. Twin Peaks has always played with soap operas. Twin, Did you forget yeah. Invitation to Love? Twin Peaks, like the entire <laughs> point of it was that it played on these tropes of like heightened drama of, exactly. of soap operas. And so now we get to have the classic amnesia plot. And it's amazing. <laughs> Which is a joke on like some like a progressive car commercial where they make fun of a soap opera. This woman comes downstairs and is like, I had amnesia or something. <laughs> anyway, so he's got amnesia, um, basically is what it is, right? But he's like absorbing Dougie's life. He goes to work. Dougie works at an insurance uh, company. And that, that scene of him arriving at work the first time is so hilarious and so just drawn out. Yes, yeah, so he's in I this green, it. this oversized green jacket because Dougie himself is like heavier than actual Coop is. This guy has an entire tray of coffee, so obviously he tweaks out and he follows him like throughout the entire building <laughs> until he eventually like gets a coffee from him. He's like, "All right, I'll give you this guy's because he never finishes his coffee." Um, so you know. There's some stuff going on at the insurance company, obviously, because it's an insurance company. People are making, like, weird, bad deals. Um, people are like, Dougie, you're acting really fucking weird. And he'll just be like, really fucking weird. Like, he just repeats, like, the last three words of people's sentences back to each them so they think he's communicating. <laughs> um, so he's having trouble. But he's got this weirdly, like, nice connection with Dougie's son. Um, mm -hmm. for whatever reason, Dougie's son, like, really likes him. Um, they get along, they play games. They... And you get the sense that Sonny Jim knows that this is not his father. Yeah, he recognizes him as someone different, this but he likes different. it. He's okay yeah. with it. But, um, so various things happen. Coop kind of starts to peek through in different situations. When it really starts to happen is another hit's called in on Dougie when they realize that he's still alive. And this hitman who's... Ike the Spike. Ike, I was going to say, he had a name. Ike the Spike comes up and tries to shoot him. And, like, total FBI mode kicks in. And Dougie, like, yeah. pushes his wife... Doug, not Dougie. Dale pushes Dougie's wife out of the way. You know, performs, a, you know, self-defense against this guy. And the, the um, evolution of the arm appears, right? So the evolution of the arm, if you guys remember, that the man from the, another place in the arm the missing arm of Mike are the same mm -hmm. person. He same has entity. evolved at this point into this strange leafless tree. That's got like this weird sort of flesh um, mound on top of it. Yeah. And it talks... Which the man from another place told Cooper mm -hmm. in the finale of the original show that the, the next time you see me, it won't be me. Yeah. And it's, um, it's a weird tree. And it wasn't, it's a weird tree um, thing. <laughs> but um, basically this little version of the man from the place, the evolution of the arm, appears and tells him, don't die, don't die. And, or no, that was... Mike appears. Mike appears and says that the tree shows shows up and says... Tree appears squeeze and off squeezes his hand. His hand. Yeah. And off. he does, and he basically, he squeezes his hand, squeezes his hand to the point where, like, a part of, like, some of his skin comes off, basically, with the gun. Yep. So they are able to use it to identify... Um, uh, the the guy who was sent to kill him and they arrest him, but like it's total coop, like FBI, like like takes him down and he's just like, oh, that was weird, and um, you know, people go about their business. Yeah. The Ike the Spike drama was interesting. It was. He had a big lead in scene too. Yeah, yeah, that whole thing of him where he's um he's playing the dice and he's recording the results. Yeah, and then um. 
when he kills the three, the secretary. Yeah. Yeah, and, he comes and, um, in, he just... Yeah. yeah. And all the, the, the lead-up to get the information about Dougie, that was, that was very interesting. Um, so that's kind of, I think, where we leave Dougie as of... My mouse. Uh, as of episode... Like, our cat being episode nine. Um, the big thing, I think, from these so bob let's talk about bob um we've put a pin in several things so yeah there's a lot of things and then we still have to talk about some of the the new storylines going we on we do oh yeah so yeah so in twin peaks <laughs> all right so let's do that so in twin peaks there's some new storylines right um amanda Seyfried and her her husband um down on their luck, into drugs, he is beating her, it's not great, a lot of people have thought that that might be the new Laura and Bobby, but at this point I, I think something different is going on with them. Um, ben is being weird, uh, you know, up at the, the Great Northern. There's been hints that, like, Josie is, like, making sounds in the wall, like, there's this weird humming coming from the walls, the and humming. he's just like, oh, that's weird. And people have theorized that it's Josie, who you remember. That was the very opening scene the... of the show. The original show is Josie humming. Yeah, and you'll remember Josie was sucked into the the walls of the of the the Great Northern um, after she's killed by Bob. After Bob shows up and and takes her down, um, there's this subplot that really hasn't been expanded upon since then with one of like Ben's secretaries who's got a a husband who's terminally ill. Um, everything kind of is the same at the diner. Um, it turns out, this is revealed so, later, but it turns out Shelly and Bobby are separated at the very least, even though they have a daughter together. So I like, sorry, you just, you mentioned about the diner. Mm -hmm. Um, I like that when we sort of check in at the diner every other episode or so, we get this, like, this sort of nice sense that Shelly and Norma are still just very grounded, mm -hmm. you know. The double R hasn't changed. The uniforms haven't changed. Mm -hmm. They're still really great friends. Even though the world is sort of moving on around them and Becky is in this horrible relationship with lots of Laura Palmer parallels and yeah. stuff going on, there's Shelly and Norma holding down the fort. Yeah. You know, it's they're like the the eye of the storm, basically. Yeah, and it you know, and when it cuts them, it's usually these minuscule scenes of them like counting tips or doing diner stuff, with the exception of when Becky comes in and asks Shelly for money and like all this other stuff. But um, um, we see for Which, a hot second at the the road was it the roadhouse um. What's his fucking face? The the motorcycle James. James. Yeah. Um with his with who has apparently had an accident, we hear. Um he's kind of weird. He's kind of walking around aimlessly at the roadhouse and someone says, Oh, there's James and um someone says, Don't make fun of him. He hasn't been the same since the accident and we haven't seen yeah. him since then. So we have not seen him since then. Uh, we don't know what happened yeah. there. I'm interested to come to come back to that. I'm also interested on you mentioned you know, people talking about Becky, the Amanda Seyfried character, sort of being the new Laura, but you had different thoughts about that. What are your thoughts? I just think it's playing out 
I don't know. Like I could totally, you know, I see that as being a thing, right? Like the clearly there's something like very wrong with her relationship. It's not going to end in a good way, but I'm not sure it's going to be sort of the new Laura because I think if that happened, it would have happened already. Mm, interesting. And there's been so much reference and like kind of like weird importance placed on the original Laura, especially after episode nine. Um, that I don't think they're going to try like the original theory that they may like try to recreate that sort of thing isn't happening. Um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. Cause there are a lot of parallels, right? There are no, they're totally, you know, the drugs, this sort of dichotomy between ecstasy and misery. Yeah. No, there Uh totally is. And I can see it. Yeah, but um, I I also don't, I don't think it's just... I think if it was going to happen as, like, a cr- concrete thing or a concrete parallel, it would have happened already. Um, yeah. I do think there's a possibility with the way that L- Laura... She does get in a red car. She does. The red room. Um, the way Laura appears in that scene with the giant um, after the nuclear explosion, you know, there's kind of a chance that... Um, Laura is not the only Laura, if you want to put it that way. Um, So, you know, there's something there. I, you know, I haven't figured out what I think about the Amanda Seyfried thing. Um, But I think it's like too far, we're too far into it at this point for it to be another um, literal Laura situation. I think it was interesting how you mentioned, you know, Laura, the original Laura, still being a big presence because a lot of this season, um, missing characters or deceased characters and deceased actors by extension mm-hmm. are still looming very large this season. Mm-hmm. Um, Philip Jeffries. Yeah. And his strange connection to whatever was going on in Buenos Aires. And his, his mission to infiltrate the Black Lodge. Yeah. His connection to Dark Cooper. Um, Major Briggs and, and everything we haven't that is even going on there. Which we haven't even gone to yet. We will get to that. Um, Bob, Laura Palmer. All sort of missing characters, you know, to say. But their, their presence is felt and in a way almost driving the season. I think it's really interesting that Lynch is able to do that in a way that feels very natural. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Major Briggs. <laughs> God, there's so much to talk about. Right? I know. It's... Okay, so... so... So, in one of the first couple episodes, they find this this this, this, this apartment complex, and um, there's something wrong. Somebody's called the cops. Um, they're trying to get in. The unhelpful neighbor... Marjorie Um, Marjorie is like oh like she's there maybe I don't know I might have it like it's just it's an infuriating exchange where she eventually tells them she has a key to the apartment because she's meant to be looking after her cat or something so she gives them the key they get into the apartment they find the woman is dead she's laying dead in her bedroom they see her they're like, oh, fuck. So they go to call it in and they pull back the covers because they can only because she's got covers up to her head so they can see her mm-hmm. head and see very clearly that she is deceased. 
I pull back the covers and it is the body of a 40 year old man underneath. Yep. The head is severed. Like it's from another body. The, the body of the man, the head has been severed off and they're like, Holy fuck. Yes. So they don't want to do. They don't know what to do. Um, they call it in to a couple of different places. Parts of the, the government get involved. Basically, what they come to the conclusion of is that the head belongs to a teacher who had something of an illicit relationship with um, Matthew Lillard's character, who is a principal. Yeah. Um, so um, he's brought Bill. In, Bill. So he's brought in for questioning. Um, and they realized the body, after doing some testing, belongs to Bishop Briggs. Bishop Briggs. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> Alliteration. That was fun, though. That, huh? is, that is the artist. The, the, the alt-rock artist, Bishop Briggs. Oh, wow. You're going to get sued because you just said <laughs> alt-rock artist Bishop Briggs is dead. <laughs> no, Major Briggs. Major Briggs. You know what's funny is I was thinking Bishop Briggs in my head all day for some reason, and it was like I'm. It's happening. I'm. It's coming out of your mouth. <laughs> there it is. There um, it is. So Worth on it. Major Briggs, for Major. God's sake, his body is there. But the weird thing is, yeah. is that he should, he should be right. Um, seventy, seventy odd years old right now. Right. This body is fresh. It died a few days ago. And it is the body of a 45-year-old man. And they're like, what the fuck? What the fuck? So, and so that, oh my God. And then remember, like that scene where that confirmation happens mm -hmm. and they're in the morgue and then the charred man, the woodsman, yeah, like walks by in that really long shot. That's terrifying. Yeah. No, the charred men are just really terrifying. Um, so they're like, this is fucking weird. The military comes in to do their own investigation because obviously Major Briggs, they want to know. Um, they realize something's very wrong. Um, Major Briggs went missing a while back. If you recall in the original Twin Peaks, he tried to get into the White Lodge and he, I think he succeeded and he came back to like kind of tell them about it and then he went missing again. Um, Matthew Lillard explains to us that he and Ruth, Ruth, Ruth were, had come in contact with the major and wanted to access this place. They were yeah. trying to get into the White Lodge and something went wrong. Um, and Ruth ended up dead and the major ended up dead. Um, and we don't have full confirmation on that. We know from the latest episode that something very wrong and strange is going on. Something to do with the charred men. So, by extension, I think something to do with the Black Lodge. Um, right. And then there's also this there's this connection, right? We know that um, someone had attempted to access Pentagon databases using yeah. Major Briggs' fingerprints. Yeah. And there's this question of... Um, and then the Matthew Lillard character, Bill, he when he's arrested and... You know, he seems like he has this nice, supportive wife in Phyllis, but then there's like this intense hatred that's revealed that they have between them when he's in jail, which is very sort of classic Lynch. He's never had a very positive view of marriage, but Phyllis had some sort of connection to Dark Cooper mm -hmm. because he murders her to keep her quiet. And so now it's like, 
was she just sort of sent to Bill after he gained access to the lodge, like after he saw Briggs. There's still a lot of questions about going on there. What's the deal with the dog leg that was in the trunk? Um, yeah. That which uh, when the the flashlight flickered when they uh, they checked out the the uh, yeah the trunk just like the lights flicker in the morgue when Cooper goes to see Laura's body which for the first time which is evidently originally like a, just an accident on set that they decided to run with the keep. yeah they were like all right we can't make mm-hmm. it stop flickering we're filming this scene today so we're just gonna which was basically so everybody how, roll with it uh, which is how Bob came about too he accidentally got in a shot and they're yep. like. This is creepy as fuck. Have you ever been an actor before? <laughs> yeah. Okay, you are now. You are now. Um, so yeah. yeah, that is going on there. Um, that has an interesting conclusion to it, um, which I'll leave as is. Um, yeah, good idea. So, um, where are we at? So, um... <laughs> So bad coop. Let's let's go there, right? So he's in jail. Okay. So bad coop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, he yeah. he's got information on the. He blackmails the warden basically to let him out. He blackmails the warden um, um, with information concerning someone named Mister Strawberry. Yeah, which everyone's like Strawberry Red Red Room. You know, red, red no room. one knows. Yeah, the warden's dead now. Big so. escape. Yeah, because of that, he gets his associate Ray you know, involved. Um, he orders the assassination of the warden with, um, uh, Chantal and the other character. They're played by Tim Roth. I was going to say Tim Roth and that trick. And Jennifer Jason Lee. Who are great, They're sort of these, like, assassin characters. It's very, like, evocative of, um, Wild at Heart. They are really good and... They're very good, and they're the like assassins. And they're sort of act, like they're sort of very much sort of redoing their like um, Tarantino characters from Hateful Eight. Yeah. They're in that <laughs> together, but they're doing it with Lynch and people. You know, are like, oh yeah, they're doing Tarantino. But remember, before Tarantino was doing Tarantino, Lynch was doing Tarantino. Lynch was doing Lynch, and Tarantino yeah, Lynch was, was doing Lynch. Lynch. And then Adam Tarantino was doing Lynch. And now Tarantino does Tarantino, and now Lynch is doing Tarantino. And it's doing Lynch circle. Do yeah, he's doing Lynch is doing Tarantino, doing Lynch, which is amazing. Um, so um, yes, basically. But in his escape, something goes wrong because the guy who breaks him out of jail was hired as what was like basically a double agent whose job it was to try and kill him. So they pull off on the side of the road so he can go like because guys, for whatever reason, can't fucking hold it. And because you can pee anywhere, you do. So they decide to pull off on the side of the road. Well, but they're also both hoping to double cross each other. I know, but that doesn't change (laughs) the fact that it's totally believable that a guy would say, pull off on the side of the road so I can piss on this tree. So they pull off on the side of the road. They're like, I gotta pee. So they go to pee. They both try to to double cross each other. Um, The driver gets off shots, um, shoots up Bob Dale, like fatally like he's been shot several times in the abdomen he falls over seemingly dead guy that calls says it's done drives off uh well he calls philip jeffries he calls philip jeffries yes to say that he's says i think he's dead yeah but he's found some kind of help 
and I'm not 100% yeah, sure. Yeah, because this guy, what he sees is that all these weird, it. charred men come, like, scuttering out of the forest. And they sort of look like woodsmen. They do. They look, they honestly, when I saw them, they look like a demented version of Snow White's dwarves, kind of. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, they reminded me of, like, a fucked up version of the seven dwarves. They come skittering out. They, they're, the, the main one in the episode is credited as the woodsmen, so I just assume they're all known as the woodsmen. Yeah. Uh, they come out and they're doing something weird. They're like fucking with, with Bob Dale's body. They're doing something. They're sort of like, they start like digging and yeah. clawing. Yeah. And for a while, they're they're really just clawing at the dirt. Because Dark Cooper's body disappears. Yeah. And time sort of slows down as Ray is watching them. And then the body comes back and the woodsmen they seem to sort of extract bob bob from the body of dark cuz he gives his his signature smirk to ray um yeah. and then vanishes and then vanishes and that of course that raises lots of questions is bob free to repossess another is he going the back fan to the lodge the fan has started moving again um, and then there's all these mm-hmm. questions about the woodsmen. Are there woodsmen connected to the lodge? Are they? So let's get into this. We're at this Are they point. Bob. All right. You so know? we're at this. We're at the point where we can start talking about this. This is the the this big thing eight. in in episode eight, which is like the which, big thing. I remember saying like because word had leaked prior to the episode that it was going to be strange. Yeah. You didn't um, and no you one knew how to watch strange. it and you couldn't watch it live and I remember texting you to be like I just want you to text me when you finish watching so we can talk about what happened. Yeah, I was and that's like Iceland. all I said. Yeah, of all the episodes to miss, I was in Iceland and yeah. I missed that one. Um but I watched it like as soon as I got back. So that's like the first couple minutes like that happens fairly early in the episode. Um yeah, and then you have Ray has the call to Jeffries. Yeah, and, he and says, some other shit happens. He also says, I saw something. It may be the key to what this is all about. Yes. Which is very interesting. Because he and looks right at Bob. For me, I feel like I've been wondering, I'm like, okay, who is Ray really? Because I've seen some interesting stuff that he might have been undercover. Ray Skywalker? Working different for Ray. <laughs> a different Ray. Um. And, or, like, is he good? Is he bad? Is he the real Jeffries? I consider anyone who wants to kill Bob a good person. <laughs> because remember, Coop, Dark Cooper makes that call to someone who is not Philip Jeffries. And he yeah. thinks that it is. He thinks that it is. And, um, so there's, an enti- there's a possibility that somebody else knew who he was and has been working against him the entire time. Right. Um, so after this little moment, we cut to a performance at the Roadhouse. <laughs> the, the quote unquote, nails. quote unquote, the Nine Inch Nails. Nine Inch Nails. Who performed and an entire fucking song. <laughs> they sing a whole song with um, very sort of poignant lyrics talking about she's gone away. Yeah, it's a Laura song, basically. I was there that day. There's also... Um, which, you by the way, friends... No, you dig in places until your fingers bleed. By the way, friends, I have a lot of Laura Palmer-inspired music. Um, literal Laura Palmer-inspired music. Like, artists who have said Laura Palmer-inspired this music. If you want it. I have a playlist on Spotify. <laughs> Feel free to follow it. 
What is called Laura Palmer's prom? Uh, Bastille's Laura Palmer. (laughs) Wrapped in Plastic by Marilyn Manson. You have to add this The Nine Inch Nails song. I know, and now I have to add The Nine Inch Nails. Yes. Which they're a very sort of Lynch band, right? They're a very Twin Peaks band. They are. Like and I a can lot see of them totally being like, fuck yes, let's do this. Repertoires, sort of like, right, the sphere of industrialization, seeking redemption through love. That's very, very, very on point with Twin Peaks. So they perform and it's all very poignant. And then. And then, 24 minutes, the, the basically from then on until the end of the episode. Okay. All right, so where to begin with? So, so you realize very quickly what, what it is, right? What you're looking well, at. Well, we, we get the thing. Because you get the countdown. 1945, White Sands, New Mexico. You know what's about to happen. The explosion. The very first testing of an atomic bomb. The first time an atomic bomb ever went off in the history of anything. Ever. Recall the poster in Gordon's office. The atomic bomb. This, to me, was a connection saying that this moment, July 16th, 1945, White Sands, New Mexico, this is where Gordon's mission began. Okay. Um, this is sort of where it all begins for him. Maybe where it all begins for Lynch, in a way. So here's my thing. Now, this is a motif that I have been obsessed with for a very long time because I, in high school, wrote a paper about the parallels. It's interesting because Lord of the Rings came out before atomic bombs were a thing, right? But there's this massive parallel people have drawn, and I wrote a paper about it. That the one ring represents an atomic bomb. This mm. awful, devastating power that we need to undo. And if you will call history, um, Oppenheimer said he wished he had never done it. He spent the rest of his life advocating against the use of atomic weapons. He regretted that he ever had a hand in creating them. So, you know... In this kind of vein of things, to me, even before watching this episode, to me, the atomic bomb had always been the symbol of ultimate, like, evil and violence in the world. The, like, creation of this thing that was literally designed to decimate as many lives as possible in a single instant on detonation. Like, that's all it's meant to do. Like, you know, it's it's not meant to do anything else. It's not meant to cripple arms or destroy, you know, factories or guns. It's meant to just kill as many people as possible in a very short amount of time. And that's how the U.S. used it in World War II was to just shock and awe Japan into surrendering by killing a lot of innocent people all at once. So to me, this is not... A, this is To see David Lynch embrace this concept the same way that I did for so many years, like as a teenager, as somebody who was reading, learning to write of the atomic bomb as like this pure evil thing, um, the way he did in this episode was like incredible to me because it's like, not only is it like, oh, other pe- obviously other people get this too, but it's like David Lynch thought the same, you know, used the same thing that I was, you know, thinking you know, in an artistic way, the same way that I had always wanted to use an atomic bomb, like, in my own writing or my own stuff, like, obviously I'm not David Lynch, but the idea of using an atomic weapon as the symbol for for evil, like, to see that play out from David Lynch on a screen for 25 minutes in in an episode of Twin Peaks was just incredible. You need to read The Secret History. I don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot. 
there's a lot of other things in connection to this that it, that's in there that's really fascinating. So uh, countdown happens, bomb goes off. Right. So the detonation, we go into the mushroom cloud <gasps> as the music plays, right? Mm-hmm. Which the music is um, Threnadine for the victims of Hiroshima, yeah. which is, means it's a, a, a song of mourning. Mm-hmm. That's what's playing. We, amidst the flames and stuff or whatever, we see a convenience store that emerges. Now you'll recall mm. the convenience store has been referenced many, many times as possibly being a headquarters of the entities of the Black Lodge. They lived above a uh, convenience store. They lived above a convenience store, Bob and Mike. Um, this is where Leland Palmer was first abused as a child um, in the convenience store, above the convenience store, when his sexual abuse began and sort of the cycle that set everything into motion. We see the woodsman moving about in this convenience store. And it's sort of like this, you know, it's almost it's stop motioning. Like, it's almost as if like, this is where the real episode begins, right? Yeah. Because everything before it was just sort of this like footnote mini episode with Dark Cooper. Yeah. Um, so they're moving about in there and um, this and that and da 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 da. And the, sh- the, the cloud keeps going. The mushroom keeps, keeps growing. We keep seeing the fire. Um, the shape of the cloud becomes very familiar of the, uh, the evolution of the arm, the tree, sort of, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, you know, as, as Mel was saying, this one act eventually would lead to the destruction of so many lives and set the stage for the Cold War, a new age of moral ambiguity and everything that sort of centers around that. Mm-hmm. This mythic representation of evil, basically, you're talking about. Yeah, as a yeah. physical weapon yeah, in the as modern a physical age. Weapon. From this, from the rest of the mushroom cloud, we see this creature known, credited at least, as the experiment who then spews something from its mouth into this dark, dark void. And it's these sort of weird bubbles of weird bubble globular things. And um, it's like Lovecraft's like ether kind of a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then some of them, you see these speckled eggs and in another one, you see Bob's face doing his, smiling thing doing this things and this is all happening and then we sort of fade back to the convenience store for a little bit um and if you don't know the history of the trinity test um a fake town was built Mm -hmm. the testing site to see basically they just wanted to know what the blast would well and you can see the footage of the fake town being just um yeah just well and then with that vaporized I was thinking of that, and I was like, because didn't the convenience stores just seem sort of like a prop to it you? Did, yeah, like it was just um, yeah. No, it looked like either a, an abandoned convenience store or kind of like the fake town that they set up by the Trinity site in New Mexico, where you know that famous footage of it just getting like vaporized in an instant from the heat of the bomb. Um, which, um. Another thing for those of you listening, if you're not up on your history. Um, 
Yeah, so White Sands, New Mexico. But the specific place that the bomb was actually set off, that the town was built, like where the blast was, was um, the Jordana del Muerto, which means the, the working day of the dead or the journey of the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so just a little, I thought that was interesting. But um, so then we cut to this castle, fortress. I don't know. It's like um, up on a. It's, it reminded me at first of where the Dursleys take Harry when they want to get away from the owls. Yeah, well, which is like, ironic. It's up on this cliff and it's above this purple sea. Yeah, and um, we go into the castle fortress hut thing, and we see a woman who is she's known in the credits as Senorita Dido. And um, so, to me, you can tell me what you think. The architecture here, to me, looked like the place, or similar to the place where Dale was before he entered the glass box. So this is my thing, is I have not decided whether I, like, jive with people's idea of this being some sort of Grey Lodge or it being the actual Black Lodge. Because Uh, the Red Room is always referred to as a waiting room. I was thinking, is this the Grey Lodge or is this the White Lodge? I also thought it might be the White Lodge, especially after what happens with the giant, because the giant, I had always, like, I had seen, like, there were things that made me think that he was a resident of the White Lodge because it was said that he was an enemy of Bob. um, Yes, yeah. Especially after this sequence. So my two things about it is I'm more in tune with A, my big theory about it after I saw it, especially after what happens with the giant in that episode, that is that it's the White Lodge. Because when Laura takes off her face and it's white light, based on what happens with the giant, it's to me, it's the White Lodge. It also, to me, perhaps it's the real Black Lodge and the Red Room is just exactly what they called it, which was the waiting room. But basically, the giant and this woman watch this happen. They watch this explosion. Right. They watch you Bob watch the being born. The giant kind of has this look of devastation on his face. And there's this long sequence where he walks over and he just starts spewing this strange gold mist from like his face and his mouth. And he like starts rising off the floor and he's floating and this gold crap is like coming off his face and it's forming in the air, this weird mist and it turns into a ball and that ball lowers down and Madame Dido grabs it and looks at it and within the ball of gold that has come out of the giant's aura is the face of Laura Palmer the photograph the icon that iconic photograph of Laura Palmer and she sees it and she I feel like she got she like gave like a smile or a nod or something and she said okay and she sent it off into like this this picture of the world that they have. Right. right, because right, because after they watch the explosion, the giant goes into this other room and he watches it again on a movie theater screen. Yeah. Which is where the you know, it all happens where he like rises into the air and all this gold stuff, and they send the ball through this machinery into the screen, down to earth, and it's like Okay, are they sending Laura? Are they sending the essence of Laura? Yeah. 
Are they setting in motion the events that will lead to her birth? Because Laura was not born in 1945. Yeah. And no matter what happens, Laura, for whatever reason, Bob was obsessed with her and she was able to keep him out. Right. Um, I, I, yeah, it's very interesting like to think of Laura as being this counter to Bob, this foil yeah. to him. And if you think about it more and more, you know, like, she knew who he was. Um, you know, it seems like Bob's obsession with Leland was more a pre-obsession with Laura, right? Like, eventually he knew that Laura was going to happen and that was the person he really wanted um, to go after, right? Um, he wanted to be well, her. He just he wanted wants to hurt. Innocence. Yeah, he wants to hurt innocence, but he had, you know, he wanted to possess Laura. He wanted to be her, um, you know, for months and weeks leading up to, you know, his attempt to possess her in the train. You know, he was abusing her. He was, you know, had this obsessive thing with her. So it's like this sort of Bob Laura dynamic. Like, you know, what is that? And the fact that, you know, she could, you know, she put on the ring and kept Bob out of her. Like, Mike was so dead set on giving her this ring. We see Dale tell her not to take the ring. And she puts it on and, you know, it leads to her death, but it keeps Bob away. Um, and, you know, the, the events after her death, she, when she, you know, she dies and all these things happen and they start investigating the lodge and they start targeting Bob and trying to figure out Bob. And, and you know, Coop gets basically tricked by Wynda Merle into going into the lodge. Not tricked, but like lured into the lodge. Um, right. Where Wynda Merle wants to, you know, basically use him as a sacrifice or take his soul or whatever. And Bob says, no, we can't do that. Um, and takes Wynda Merle's soul instead. And all this, like, you know, it's just this weird, you know, what is it? Is it Laura? Is it the events of Laura's death? Is it the essence of Laura? You know, is it... The, the thing that I like that this, um, with um, Firewalk with me in this, is kind of the... Uh, predestination thing so like in the week mm. that before Laura died Laura was already going to die right because Annie came back in this strange dream to tell her things that were going to happen months and months and months after she died right that were already in place and and Dale was already in the lodge by the time that that Laura was killed even though Dale was also in Philadelphia um, and all these strange things like I love that weird cyclical crap I love time travel, but I love... Yeah, you um, do. <laughs> yeah, you do. We know. Um, but I love that, right? The idea that something's already going to happen. Um, and, and because it's... Annie showed up to Laura, there was nothing stopping Laura from dying. Like, at that point, Laura had to die. Because if Laura didn't die, Annie wouldn't be able to appear in her dream and tell her the things that happened. So it's like... And yet it's so interesting that Mike does everything he can to prevent the murder. Yeah. Which is like, what's Mike's motivations? What's Dale's motivations when he tells her not to take the ring? Mm -hmm. You know, what the fuck was that entire sequence? And interesting, you know, thinking of this orb, right? It's beautiful. And this, this scene is sort of very, there's something very peaceful about it. But it's also gold. Yeah. It's also the color of Garmin Bosia, of yeah. pain and suffering. Yeah. So I think it maybe it is a counter to the evil that is unleashed in the form of Bob, but to counter that, it's go it's going to be very painful, and there's going to be lots of suffering. Yeah. That's 
that's what's necessary. Yeah. And it's just this whole great, this whole great sequence, basically. Um, and basically what we come to is these two kids in like the 1940s walking right. down a desert road. They've like 50s. 50s. It's like 10 years yeah, later. It's 10 years later. They've gone on a date. It's a guy and a girl. They have their weird post-date. He's walking her home and then like, can I kiss you? Blah, blah, blah. Um, they separate and go about their business. Um, she goes back home. He does his thing. Um, in the desert, this woodsman appears, played by a known Abraham Lincoln impersonator, <laughs> which is why everyone was like, why does that dude look like fucked up Abraham Lincoln? <laughs> well, yeah. turns out. Um, who walks around, he, he stops this couple on the side of the road, or they, there's a bunch of charred woodmen, I guess, and this couple yeah. stops on the side of the road, and he leans into their, their door, and he's like, you got a light? Like, he keeps saying this, and his eyes pop, like, the way the color is done is that, you know, he's black, he's covered in char, but his eyes pop, and his cigarette pops in his mouth. Um, and he's like, you got a light? Got a light? And the couple's like, fuck this, and they drive away. <laughs> um charred woodsman does some walking he comes to a radio station um he walks in does his same spiel got a light got a light eventually starts murdering people he yeah. squeezes their How heads that moment where the receptionist is like she's like drawn to him mm -hmm. she like walks towards him but she's still terrified of him yeah it's very dark it's weird it's fucked up which you know um so he, he makes his way into the room where they're broadcasting and he, he grabs the head of the DJ in the room and he starts squeezing his head and pulls the microphone and starts repeating this line over and over again, um, which is... I'm trying to think of how it starts because I can remember like... I've got the whole thing. This is the water yeah. and this is the well. Drink full and descend or ascend. People have said. He I says, heard descend. Other people heard ascend. There's no consensus yeah. on, on what it, it says. Was. The horse is the white of the eyes and dark within. The horse. The horse. We've seen the white horse. Mm -hmm. it has appeared a couple times now. Dale has seen it. Sarah Palmer has seen it. Um, and he repeats this message, right? Over, over, and, and, over, over and over again. And we see a couple different, I think we see like three different scenes of people listening to the radio. And they kind of go into a trance when they hear it. Yeah, they kind of go into a trance and they, they, they fall asleep or they, they're unconscious. They might even die. It's not even entirely clear. And then the last moment is when we see the girl. She's just credited as girl and her, her date is just credited as boy. Mm -hmm. she's at home and she falls asleep and there's to the sounds of the chanting to the sounds of the chanting of the transmission and there's this cockroach creature that is born from a speckled egg in the desert and it makes its way to her house and crawls in through her bedroom window and as she's sleeping from the transmission it crawls into her mouth and down her throat and uh, the woodsman finishes his transmission and he walks into the, the darkness and there's this white flash and he's gone. Mm -hmm. Make of that what you will. <laughs> <laughs> I still, I have theories, but I still don't 100% know for sure. Yeah. Um, 
People have said that that was like the first, like the creature is Bob and it's the first time that he possessed someone. Um, Whatever that creature is, it's nothing good. (laughs) Um, It's interesting that it takes place like 10 years after the scene of the nuclear explosion. Um, So I don't... I assume we're going to get there. Um, But I also assume we're not going to get there because... You know, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Um, I don't see Lynch revealing any sort of real concrete mythology about the origin. Right. I mean, he'll reveal stuff. it in the way that he reveals. Yeah. He'll reveal it in the Lynch way, you know. Yeah. And and that might be it. Like that might be his together. way of saying, "Oh, I've given you all the information you need to know about the Black Lodge. Yeah. Put it together." Um, and you know what, you know, and that's the thing is, is like, do we need to do the mechanics? Like the point is, is that it's evil. It's, you know, it's plain, it's just, it's evil. And that's kind of all you really need to know at the end of the day is that the inhabitants of the Black Lodge, Bob specifically, are evil. Um, and whatever Laura's purpose was, she was somehow an antagonist to Bob. So... Um, other than that, um, I think we covered everything except for Jerry Horn high in the woods. Jerry Horn is high in the woods. Um, you don't know, there's a lot going on with Stuff in Buckhorn is coming together. Stuff in Twin Peaks is coming together. It seems like the investigations might be merging soon. Yeah. Um, um, and, it, you know, it's just a really good ride. And there's lots of interesting questions that are raised and yeah. theories to talk about and questions that still need answered and um you know like what's what's the deal with bob now now that he's sort of free is he free is he he gone is he because that episode begins with um dark coop looking in the mirror and saying you're still with me referring to bob um right and in that same episode that's when bob kind of gets extracted out of him and that's an interesting moment too right because it's a question of like, was Dark Cooper checking? Like, has Bob sort of been dormant for a while? Has he been quiet? Is Dark Cooper just sort of evil enough on his own that Bob is sort of taking a break? Or... Yeah. yeah, that's the thing is, is I think people were getting confused a lot is that Bob and the doppelganger are mutually exclusive. Like they, Bob does not, right. doppelgangers exist in the Black Lodge. Like that is the thing that Hawk told us is that everyone's double exists in the lodge and you have to come face to face with it and there's a lot of mythology involving doppelgangers um but bob just happens to be taking an interest in coop's doppelganger yeah um and it's interesting because in the original series it wasn't clear whether the doppelganger came out or whether bob or dale came out possessed Possessed by by bob Bob. yeah um, or what it was it seems that the doppelganger came out and bob possessed the doppelganger yeah, or is and it the doppelganger has been busy. I mean, yeah, there's the picture of him in like Rio or wherever the hell he is, like by the pool with his strut. 
<laughs> and they're talked about how much money he has and all that shit, which makes me wonder, is he the billionaire? Yeah. Sponsoring. Because a lot of people thought it might have been Audrey. I think it's clear right now Audrey is not a billionaire. <laughs> no, I don't think it's her. I, I'm leaning more in towards Dark Cooper, actually, but who, who's to say? Um, the Renaults are still scuzzy. Yeah. They're still... There's that scene where Jean-Michel, a new Renault, is talking about, you know, 15-year-old sex workers. So that's good to know. Um, uh, I just, can I just take a moment and talk about how awesome Naomi Watts is doing as Jamie? <gasps> Dougie. I love her. Like, her whole character is just meant to sort of, like, poke fun and skewer the American sitcom wife stereotype. (laughs) Like when she just like finger wags the like loan sharks or whatever. (laughs) He tells her to like fuck off or whatever. She's like, you're going to leave my family alone. I think we have this much money. And it's like, wow, what a comment on middle America. And like, they totally like buy it too. They're like, Oh, Sorry, yeah, they're like, yeah, you're right. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. She. They also have that scene with her where she's waiting at the light, the red light. Like yeah. A, back to the original series. That was a nice little nod. Yeah. Um. Well, I just wanted to like. It seems like we're kind of wrapping up. Yes. Even though we could go on for ages and ages, truly mm-hmm. ages and ages. We've barely scratched the surface. Yeah. But, but that's what um, part two is for. That's what part two is for. I did kind of want to talk a little bit about, and I know this includes things sort of beyond episode nine, but um, Bobby mm. and and Becky and Shelly yeah, and everything that situation. on there. Because I think Bobby's rehab story is – been a very interesting mirror into who he once was. Yeah. You know, with the drugs and his business with Leo and killing the man in the woods. And yeah, now he's dedicated to stopping those kinds of people. But, um, okay. So I'll tell you what I think and then you can challenge me or (laughs) agree hard or tell me to fuck off. All right. So I think that, Lynch kept the Bobby, Becky, Shelley relationship away from us for so long for a reason. Because mm-hmm. I think that Bobby and Becky's relationship is going to be what the heart of this season is about. Mm-hmm. Or really what Twin Peaks is about, right? Because mm-hmm. um, if think about it. If he had told us in the beginning that they were father and daughter, it would have been like too cheap in a way it wouldn't have the same emotional resonance Mm -hmm. that the sort of slow burn reveal gave to us i think we all guessed yeah but but it wasn't clear yeah clear yeah so you know bobby was laura's boyfriend in the original show Mm -hmm. before the show starts right yes she's troubled she's on drugs she's going mad, basically. She's prostituting herself. She's self-abusing. She's being abused. She's 
looking for love, but she can't seem to find it. And when she does, she can't accept it. Mm -hmm. Bobby loved her. I don't think he was in love with her, but he loved her. Mm -hmm. And that's why she could hurt him. So Bobby leaves her for Shelly, who is another girl in trouble, but not as deep as trouble lore. And kind of right? more innocent trouble. Like, yeah. it's trouble that she's not had a hand right. in creating for herself, Bobby, really. Bobby could help Shelly. Yeah. She couldn't help Laura. So I don't think it's really a surprise that Bobby became a deputy because he has a good heart. Mm-hmm. Especially considering everything he's gone through. And he wants to do what he can to protect people. And we've talked about how similar Becky is to Laura Palmer. Mm-hmm. I don't know that Bobby recognizes this consciously. But I feel like some of his his fears in um that we saw in the most recent episode where he's like, was she, was he hurting you? Is this happening? Is X happening? Yes. Like kind of reflects that somewhere in him he's seeing the danger there. Yeah, because and thinking about when he sees the picture, he's still very much affected by the loss of Laura because this was a girl that was in trouble and he couldn't protect her. So I think. Bobby being able to protect protect Becky is going to be very in line with what Twin Peaks is going for this season. Is sort of this this cycle and this this striving for of these characters now to not repeat the past and to recognize when people are in trouble and then to help them. You know, thinking back to Laura's funeral, like all of you knew she was in trouble and you did nothing. He wants to make up for that. He wants mm-hmm. to make up death and Becky is going to be that shot I think for him yeah. Yeah. if he dies Bobby is going to break permanently but if he can protect her he's going to be redeemed um, so yeah I don't know I think it's just going to be really like sort of the central conflict in the end um and that he's going to have to keep her from, from dying, to keep her from being lost in the same sort of trouble infecting Twin Peaks now that was infecting Twin Peaks 25 years ago. Yeah, and I could see that with him walking in on their kind of reopening a case that has to do with Agent Cooper, with Laura Palmer, and kind of the fact that that's happening. They're reopening this old can of worms. Um, doesn't somebody, some new fucking kid say at one point who was Laura Palmer or something like that? Like, doesn't that oh, happen? Yeah. Um, it's, I think it's when, um, I don't know, is it, it's the, if it's the secretary talking to Ben Horn or if it's just someone who works there. It's when they return the Great Northern Key, Dale's Key. Yeah. Ben, and he says, oh, this was Agent Cooper's room. When he was and here the, about. And the person goes, Who? Yeah. And he was like, he was investigating Laura Palmer's murder. And they're like, who? <laughs> She's like, who? And he's just like, never mind. Yeah. Um, but like, that's the thing is, is like, and even for Bobby, like, he sees them and he's like, oh, fuck, Laura was a person. And then he was like, wow, this, that brings back a lot of memories. Like, it's not something that's present in people's minds. Like, when it first happened, when people were like, oh, shit, Laura Palmer's no, dead. And holy balls. Why would it be, you know? You know, 25 years later, everyone's like, oh, right, Laura Palmer. Remember when that happened? Like, that was fucked up. Um, and I think what's so interesting is that we're seeing that even though many of these characters don't realize it, those events and everything that surrounded her murder still haunt the town, still sort of hold that town 
in it in a dark place. Yeah. Yeah, it's the underbelly, and that was, like, another thing in Lynch's original stuff, was, like, the underbelly to suburban and rural places. Like, there is a dark side, you know, and there's kind of, like, you know, the dark side of... The, the normal dark side, you know, like, normal dark side. The dark side of drugs, and the dark side of, you know, um, these seedy bars that are actually involved in some fucked up sex trafficking shit, and that sort of thing. But then you've got the seedy underbelly of Twin Peaks has all these things, but it's also got this massive paranormal, fucked up supernatural murder of the homecoming queen. Um, You know, that turns out was facilitated by a demonic spirit from some sort of strange extra dimensional place in the forest that can only be glimpsed. If one goes to the right place at the right time under the right, like, moon cycle, like, you know, it's like, what an underbelly to have in your, in your society. The town, yeah, good on the surface, dark underneath, you know, it's, uh, yeah. Um, (laughs) Same. But no, I could definitely see that, like, maybe not literal parallels, but seeing, like, you know, Bobby protecting Becky Right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm thinking more and more, it's not going to be so, so, so literal that Becky is the new Laura. I think Becky is just the Laura-esque figure of redemption for Bobby. And that works because, you know, like, like, to have a Laura-esque figure in the show, even for us, you know, as viewers, like, it would need to be someone connected to Bobby, I feel like. Because, yeah, you know, with the exception of Donna, like, there's no one that I can, you know, I think of in terms of Laura elsewhere. Because it's like, you know, you think Laura and Bobby. Um, you know, in Fire Walk With Me, it was Laura and Donna. For whatever reason, Donna is, neither Donna is present in this. No, Donna in this um, season, which sucks because I think Laura and Donna's relationship in Fire Walk With Me was so well done and so telling of Laura's mental state and emotional state. Um, But that's the thing, you know, it's Bobby and Laura. Like, even though they really, by the end of things, weren't together, there's nothing really romantic about them. Like, they were linked in that sort of way. And Bobby was the one at her funeral to say, this is fucked up and we all knew it and we didn't do anything. And I'm guilty too, but you people are really guilty because you won't acknowledge that. Um, So, yeah. And it's so interesting that it's Bobby. It's not Donna. It's not James. It's not, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So I could definitely That's see my that. thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah I could see it. Um, and I think that Amanda say like that character has more to do than what's what's going on there. Like I see it as more than just Lynch kind of giving us the soap opera drama in the background of the main you know investigation stuff that you get with the original like you know that you get like with um what's her face and her drape runners and her amnesia. <laughs> Nadine. Nadine, who loves... Um, She's digging uh, Jacoby's podcast. Jacoby's podcast. Um, yes, she He's basically is. like got this doomsday preparer podcast. Which I think... I don't even think Nadine would re- really even like believes that. I think she's just admiring his eccentricity. Her face when she's... Re- she's just like, yes, well done. <laughs> Yeah, like, like she's I think just she's proud just of him. Earnestly, yeah, supporting Dr. Jacoby. And um, who else is listening? Oh, Jerry's listening to it, too. 
And um, Jerry is I don't not even like think he real... knows what he's. Yeah, I think he thinks it's his foot talking to him. I am not your foot. Yeah, Jerry's high as balls in the woods. I think we should get Dr. Jacoby's sound effects and use them on our podcast. If I can find them. <laughs> just like, no, just like forever, not for this episode. His shovels. Forever. Yeah. yeah, his shovels that he spray paints himself. And he's like, get a gold shovel to dig yourself out of the shit. Out Which of the like, shit. It's so funny because that's it, like, right? It's a commentary on these people who are like making comments about politics and policy and current events without really saying anything (laughs) like it's like the white noise of political commentary um especially in the age of social media because he's got a podcast it's like the age of social media and the way that people can anyone can get on the internet and reach anyone with their nonsense and that's exactly what jacoby's doing us (laughs) us yeah Um, well yeah because like every time you know the time we spend in twin peaks right which has not been a whole lot. I mean, now it's more and more so, but not so much at the beginning. Yeah. There's this sense, right, that Twin Peaks is sort of like dealing with modern problems and issues yeah. and technologies. And there's this question of like, does it need saved from these things? Well, or watching, is this just the natural state of things? Watching now? Diane use an iPhone was like such cognitive dissonance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really, really interesting. I was interesting. like, does she know how to use an iPhone? She's a tape recorder. God damn it. Um, Yeah, no, it's... That's a nice thing, too, because there are parts of Twin Peaks that are caught in its kind of, like, retro... spirit, like the diner. Like, they still... It's exactly the same. Um, You know, they're... Even, like, you know, the Bang Bang Bar, there are parts of it that are exactly the same. Uh It's still owned by a Renault. Like, it's, you know... It's still got shady shit going down. Um, the sheriff's office, for the most part, exactly the same. You know, there are parts exactly that are the same, the same exact thing. Sarah Palmer for, still lives uh, in the same house. Sheriff Truman's like James Bond esque little TV, like inside yeah. desk. Yeah, that pops up. Yeah. I was like, oh my god, <laughs> what the fuck. Um, which apparently there was an interview with Robert Forrester and they were getting ready to film that scene and he did not know that that was in built into the desk. And um, I guess David Lynch was like, hey, watch this. And he like opened <laughs> it or whatever. And like Robert Forrester said his face was just like, <gasps> and Lynch was like, I want you to make that exact face <laughs> when, you, when we film it. <laughs> Pretend that this happened. Yeah, I just love the idea of David Lynch just being like all giddy with like a little mischievous smile and being like, hey, check this out. (laughs) Modern technology. Yeah. Um Oh. Yeah. Um Yeah. No, yeah, that's yeah, that's interesting. And I think something I didn't think the show would deal with, but it makes sense that it is. Yeah. Two and a half decades later. Well, and that was kind of a theme in in Twin Peaks was, you know, like industrialization, kind of similar to the thing in Picnic at Hanging Rock, where it's industrialization and modern world versus these ancient things that have been here for a lot longer, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that that kind of um, would show up, right? Like that there's kind of this thing where it's like there are random things that 
like the fucking computer coming up on the desk. You know, there are random things that kind of put it in a modern context, but there are also things that are like totally stuck in Twin Peaks of 25 years ago. So Yeah. And I think it plays right with the, um, that sort of like iconography and uh, symbolism that Twin Peaks uses of like the old West. Mm-hmm. Um, like thinking of uh, everything going on with Dougie, you've got those modern buildings, like right in the middle of this sprawl of desert, this sort of like, you know, the, the West invaded sort of, there's the cowboy statue who's pointing the gun yeah. at, the, at the office. Um, it's like, is that a critique of America? Uh, Sonny Jin's bedroom is decorated all in cowboy imagery. Yeah. Um, the, he's got blue books on his shelves. Ha ha project blue book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, just this ideal of Dale sort of being this cowboy figure, this white knight. Is there, is there a place for that anymore? Um, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. The, the white night of the early 90s, and it's like, that's not really what people kind of look for in their, right. in their protagonists now, their heroes. Yeah. But I think it's interesting that the show's asking us to think about that, like, in the modern world, maybe we that's something we need, that sort of, that cowboy do-gooder white knight figure to come back. Yeah, so. We'll see. Twin Peaks! This is Twin weird. Peaks, man! Yeah, this it's weird. weird. We talked about a lot. Yeah, we did. We didn't talk about a lot. Um, mm, that's for part. Those. You know, that's that's the nature of Twin Peaks. Yeah, you can't can't get it all. Um, anything else you want to add for our official episodes one through nine recap? Um, I no, I think we got it all. Sarah cool. Sarah Palmer's going through some stuff. Ooh, Sarah Palmer. But that's later episodes. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't seen too much of her. We saw her in like the first episode for three hot seconds. For three then... hot seconds, she's watching a nature show. Yeah. And then we don't see her does. again until the Which I thought was a, an interesting episode. moment, uh, showing us that Sarah Palmer is still drawn to predators. Yeah. Yeah. Um and then we saw her most recently in the last episode of the Nurse. So, I don't know. We'll see where that goes. We shall see. Yeah. All right. And you guys shall see all of that when the season ends. We'll wrap up with our Twin Peaks conclusion recap. Part dos. But in the immediate future, what do we got coming up? Do we Um... <laughs> We don't have. We're gonna do a booze and booze on the Velisca House. Oh, that's right. Netflix. Yes, which we both come- watched separately to the exact same point and stopped. <laughs> and because we had the exact same thought that oh, this should be a booze and booze, and then stopped watching at the exact same point. And then later that day, we're like, I watched this fucking weird movie on Netflix. <laughs> it was really great. Um, so we're gonna yeah, do that. That'll be a good episode. And I think it's I think we're gonna do an interesting special booze and booze with it, or maybe a follow up where we talk about the real story behind the Yeah, Velisca. That was fricked up. Uh, <laughs> if you wanna be scared, if anyone out there is scared of home invasions and like has kind of one of those phobias of someone breaking into your house or like the vulnerability of sleep, um 
stay tuned for the Velisca Axe murder yeah. episodes because they will fuck you up. They will fuck you up. So. So, yeah. So, we got that coming up. We do. Um, we do. And uh, some other stuff. I have some stuff to talk to you when we're done recording. Okay. Ooh. Secrets. <laughs> Secrets. Secret. <laughs> Secret. All right. Well, in the meantime, uh, social media is as follows. Yep. Um... Email us at splatterchatter669 at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, splatterchatter666, minus all the vowels, or just search it with the vowels if that's too much work for you. Uh, Instagram, splatterchatter666, with the vowels. Um, Craig's blog is splatterchatter666.blogspot.com. And Tumblr, splatterchatter.tumblr.com. I think I got everything. I think you did, too. Um, Yes, get in touch with us. Let us know if you're watching Twin Peaks. What do you think? What are your theories? Um, what should we make sure we talk about next time? Mm-hmm. And um, be on the, the lookout for the oh. oh well in November. No. Okay. No, I meant no. <laughs> go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, just no. Just stop talking. Well, I was saying in November, um, Twin Peaks: The Final Dossier is coming out. Yeah. Um, it is available for pre-order. Um, it is as Twin Peaks, the secret history of Twin Peaks is, um, detailing everyone's kind of lives through, um, the TV show, Twin Peaks, the final dossier details what people were doing between Twin Peaks and Twin Peaks, the return. So be on the lookout for that. Now I will. Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. Oh God. They're going to be like, Oh my God. Can you stop talking about Twin Peaks? Jesus. <laughs> well you guys know what you signed up for yeah but there will be a break we won't be talking about twin peaks until this again until the season is over so look for our new stuff um give us a rating and a review on itunes do you think about it we would love that and um until next time when mm-hmm. we booze it up hmm. um you guys be sure to keep up the creep and we will say adios au revoir and das verdammt